Hello, it is 2024, and it's also Into the Aether, a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Wow, the first episode of the new year. We're recording this ahead of time, so it hasn't fully hit me yet. Yes, yeah, wow. we're, we're recording this the week after we recorded Goaty. Not to ruin the magic of the new year. Stephen hasn't been sitting in the same spot for seven straight days, <laughs> but we are in the same spots we were when we recorded. I'm Goody. really happy we got to record again in person before I fly back to Chicago. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. We're in front of a virtual Yule Log yet again. And we're, in front of a real pot of chili. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm cooking I'm cooking some chili. I put way too much liquid in there, so it's got to reduce a whole bunch, but boy, is it going to be worth it. Very excited for that chili post recording. That's our like reward for doing this. Yes, exactly. It's our it's our going into twenty twenty four with a belly full of chili. Yes. Yeah. Can I can I ask you a question actually, goatee related? Yeah. So it's been a week since we recorded it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like? We can talk about it now. It's yeah, happened. it's true. People, it's people, out people, in the have, open. people have heard it. They know our lists. Do you have any like any wrap up thoughts? Not yet. I feel like it's always kind of fun to review our picks like years after the fact mm, yeah like there are some where i'm like yeah that perfect nailed it and then uh, like i think especially like our first couple years of doing it, i'm like yo come on you're seven <laughs> like so i think it's a little bit too soon to have any immediate regrets i think the big one is like i've played a lot of astral scent since you recommended it oh, to really? me so like i don't know if it would replace anything on there but it would at least have been an honorable mention yeah I think. Yeah, because um, I, I think that game is a lot of fun. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just like I I'm working on the episode art at the time of this recording. I, I always kind of like that period of like we haven't listened yet to the full edit. It's always kind of special to hear all the guests that recorded their picks. Like, right. It feels like a very collaborative effort, which I always like. We got so, Lazelle on there. Yeah. Yes. Thank you to Deborah Wild for uh, indulging our request. I really wanted to someone from Baldur's Gate 3 on yeah. there. And she got back to us like right away and was like, yeah, I'll do it. So cool. It was amazing. So thank you. But uh, yeah, I, I am excited just to hear the final thing. And uh, do you have any like last minute regrets or thoughts? I don't know about regrets. I think um, I've been thinking a lot about Resident Evil 4 Remake again. <laughs> I mean, unsurprisingly, I'm always thinking about that game at yeah. this point. But I, I think one of the things for me about that game is I, I realize now that what our friend Tamor Hussein, which I think I shouted out in the Goatee episode, what he said about Lies of P, which is like, it's exceedingly hard to pull that off, you know, to be good enough that you can stand shoulder to shoulder with, you know, the greats in that way. I weirdly think I, I maybe have even undersold in my own brain how big of a possibility there was that that game didn't live up to those standards and in fact like improve upon the original which i think it does yeah i almost i almost respect that game more the more i think about it in a lot of ways um and i've been playing the original again which i'll talk about later in a new exciting way uh (laughs) which i can't wait to talk about but i i think just playing through the original a little bit again has almost highlighted for me like man it's it was really difficult for them to make that game as good as it is and i just really respect that the other the other game that i think i should probably shout out which is actually the first one that we were going to talk about in in this episode anyway so it works out perfectly is the finals which i don't think would have made my list let me just be very clear it wouldn't have made my list it wouldn't have made the top 10 again like just 2023 such a ridiculous year for video game releases like it maybe would have made the top 20 i'm not really sure i think it's going to take a long time for this game to set in for me as like one that i play a lot but yeah it sure did come out in 2023 like it is not going to be eligible for goatee next year for example uh because i think it came out over the summer or something it's like early enough that like we should have counted it for 2023 it'd be be weird to count it for next year um but if you don't know the finals the finals is uh a, a hot new fps by a team called embark um which is i think being published by nexon the makers of dave the diver uh 
Uh, so if you want to make your indie game jokes, now's the time. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the the finals is uh, is is by this team called Embark Studios, which are notable for being uh, a team comprised of the people who made like the good Battlefield games for Dice over at EA, and also Mirror's Edge. Um, and boy, if you watch some footage of this game, does it look like that is exactly what happened? Like it is just a mashup. It's interesting because they're 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 working on I think three games simultaneously, and this is the first one they've released, as far as I know. I might be wrong about that, but um, this is the first one that that we're playing and getting hands on with. And the other ones don't look anything like this. Like this is it's so interesting because this feels like planting a flag in the ground and being like, this is Embark Studios. This is actually like an internal play test that they like spun up and they were like, Oh, this is really fun. Why don't we just work on this first instead? Cause they were instead working on, I think like this big, like almost earth defense force style extraction shooter, which mm. I think is a fun idea. Like a kind of star, like what if starship troopers was an extraction shooter is kind of a cool conceit. Some of the footage is like, you know, giant alien bugs, like coming down and a bunch of people just trying to not die, uh, which is a fun idea. But the finals apparently was just like so fun to play internally. They, they, moved all the resources towards this. I think the finals is also notable for you and I because we have seen trailers for it multiple times and have never thought about it. Yeah. It's, it's like, I just, I think like the Game Awards trailer that happened recently, they had like a guy from Embark show up on stage and be like, hello, we're Embark, here's the finals, thanks for playing it. And I was like, people are playing this game? What is this game? I don't even, <laughs> it turns out it was like the fourth or fifth that time I'd seen it. That also happened like in the thick of the inevitable middle chunk of the Game Awards yes. where everyone's brain turns off. Yes. So like, you know, no shade, obviously, but it just was like not a great ad and also made the worst time yes. to like see another shooter be announced. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I just I yeah, it was it was just like as ill conceived as possible to just put all those games back to back to back to back like that. And honestly, from the out, I'll, I'll be totally blunt, like from the outset, the finals does not look like a game I would enjoy. And the same with you. Like it just definitely not. It no. is like, yeah. I mean, it, it is as like by the books, FPS, battle pass laden microtransaction filled whatever yeah i think you like you and i seek to define this show with giving everything a chance yes you know but i think like if you look at the pitch of it it just feels so cynical or like makes you cynical looking at it yes you know yes because i mean the 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 conceit of the game for those of you who haven't seen it is like it is a either 3v3v3 or 3v3v3v3 multiplayer competitive shooter competitive shooter where a bunch of people are just like trying to get as much money as possible uh is is the conceit it's in the kind of like colorful world that has almost like a battle royale you know hunger games adjacent energy to it like very like fun and poppy and like trying to be a little bit irreverent in the way that they're describing like the horrific deaths of the people who are playing the quote unquote game. It is like a television game show within the universe of the finals in the same way like technically Apex Legends is also a TV show within the world of Titanfall and Apex Legends. But I think the big distinction here and the, and the reason that this game is working for me at all is a lot of games have tried to do that exact aesthetic and none of them lean in hard enough to actually make that fun and like enjoyable yeah because like apex legends i think very quickly forgot that was the conceit i forgot until you mentioned it very like before we started recording yes. that was like the central premise of the or the pitch at least it's like th this idea of hey you're in a you're in a virtual space there are thousands of people virtually watching this you know horrific death match happening in real time 
And because it's a virtual space, we can kind of do whatever. If I recall correctly, there was a Ubisoft shooter that was pretty short lived that tried to do a similar thing, but even that didn't really lean in as far as the finals does. Like, I think that one of the one of the biggest things for me about the finals is it just like it has announcers like it's FIFA. You know, there are like virtual announcers who are like shouting out all the teams as they're doing things. They're talking about like stage hazards that pop up. There are big screens everywhere that are showing like who's winning and by how much or like if you know, random things, random events start to happen mid-match. Like, the announcers will shout that out. The screens will reflect that. You will definitely see it in the world. But on top of that, there's this really great Mirror's Edge art style that has just popped up again in this, thankfully. I mean, like, the Mirror's Edge art style is amazing. And I it's think, like... Yeah, it looks great. Like, I, It still holds up, too, for the yeah, most part. Which that's I feel the like thing. Early yeah. 360 is maybe the least well-aged era. Yes. And that's one of the few that just looks timeless. Yes. They, yeah. they, they did such a great job. I mean, that game, if you haven't played Mirror's Edge, it's like a first-person parkour game uh, where you're running around this kind of, like, dystopic future that's very Apple Store clean in yeah. a lot of ways with these really, really, like, bright and 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 colorful walls and places that just indicate visually you can like jump on this you can slide under it you can run along it you can do whatever with that like you can interact with this thing and i think notably like red in the beginning of that game like red is the color uh but as you make your way through that game they're like green sections and yellow sections but it's always just this stark contrast between like a really vibrant color and the rest of the world which is just like pretty much plain white yeah um and they kind of do that in the finals again which is nice honestly knowing that this team will never get to make a mirror edge again it's nice to know like oh yeah they could just use that talent and that that great art direction i almost wish they went a little further with it because i do think i mean i've i've only played this game very briefly before we start recording you're like do you want to play the finals i'm like yeah let's do it so like i've only seen a few of the arenas but they do feel a little like cotty to me yes like um there's that one level i god i haven't played call of duty since like black ops one so i might be aging myself here <laughs> but like there's that one level i think it's called boomtown that's like yes this you know nuclear su- like test site basically it's called nuketown now nuketown yes uh, and it feels like that because yes. everything is also destructible so it feels like this weird collection of houses and, and environments that are like meant to be this tournament arena yeah but i kind of wish it had more of that dedicated like um, it doesn't have to have the same like minimalist, you know, using three colors, but I kind of wish they leaned more into that because I think parts of it to me can feel a little generic, but you're right. It does have some of that aesthetic in other places. Yeah, it's a, it's at least more visually interesting than a lot of other games of this style sure. that it's competing against, yeah. which I think is a pretty low bar to clear, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I'm glad the finals does it. And as you just mentioned, the other big thing, and this this is more pulling from like the Battlefield dice side of things, is everything is destructible. Like every single building, every single object in the world is a thing that can like explode in extravagant flames and just kind of like crumble around you, which I think at first sounds like something that could just be like a fun, nice to have. But what I've noticed the more I played and AJ and I did a stream together where we played this for a couple hours and we started to get into matches that were like a little bit more intense and a little more focused. And in those matches, you could tell that people were specifically blowing things up strategically. Like they were like, hey, here's where the person, you know, here's where this team needs to deposit this amount of money to win the game. 
I'm going to throw a bunch of explosives into that space and blow it up so the vault that you need to deposit your money into just drops from beneath your feet and gets buried under a mound of of rubble so you just can't even get to it. Like Stuff like that, strategically, I think is the kind of thing that might make this game more interesting the more people kind of get a handle on how the environments are able to be destroyed but even just stuff like running along like a glass rooftop and like shooting it out from beneath the feet of my enemy or something just watching them like plummet not to their death there's no fall damage but like watching them plummet and ending that firefight right there like using those moments where even i an idiot can have moments where i'm like (laughs) i'm a genius is like it has like a little dash of immersive sim in it in terms of just the destructible environments even like you can go into an elevator in a building and press the elevator buttons and you can be like i'm gonna go to floor four Sure. Why not? It's fun that they like added that. It's like a nice touch. You know, it's like a lot of little nice quality of life and nice to have and immersive sim elements. It just kind of coalesce in what is actually, in my opinion, I think one of the most exciting first person shooters I played in a long time. Because like, I mean, what was the last time I brought one to the show like that? Like probably Apex Legends or like an update on on. I almost said Divinity 2. That's that's how you know where my head's at. Uh, Destiny 2. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But that was almost more of like doing your taxes than... Yeah, that was like, let me see what's up with this, you know, with with, with this thing that I probably shouldn't be playing anymore. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I need to laugh. But uh, yeah, I feel like Apex Legends is like the last time a game like this came out where I was like, this is really exciting and I I can see it doing well. Oh, Remnant. But that also feels kind of its own thing. Not not quite this like multiplayer, like specifically going for like a Fortnite battle royale type yeah thing. yeah that, that's yeah. kind of what i'm talking about here like yeah. I, I feel i feel like you know there there are real tent poles i think in this lineage of this kind of game i mean you could go as far back as like you know online quake and stuff but i think like in the more recent era it's like call of duty 4 i think was a really big one i don't even know like maybe i think maybe nothing until Fortnite happened if well, i PUBG. oh yeah PUBG and Fortnite, like around that same yeah. era right overwatch feels a bit like in a different world i feel like yeah i think oh, it counts though i think i think yeah. overwatch definitely you know started to create this trend of every developer trying to make a hero shooter and like right. most of them failing and before that tf2 TF2, right and then uh and then i think like apex legends was like the one that got it i think because of like the teams of three and the battle royale of it all like it, it was i think it just had like a really interesting aesthetic and the characters were fun and it was you know by the team that made titanfall so everyone was stoked about that um there's there's a lot going for apex legends but I, I think there hasn't been a game that i've been this excited about since then um and it seems to be successful like as far as i know right now it is the number one first person shooter on steam at least at the time of this recording which is like pretty wild considering what it's competing against you know things like team fortress 2 which is still wildly active and counter-strike which is wildly active uh and the new call of duty which like people don't seem to like very much in that community like it just it seems like it just created a really good space for itself at a really good time which is half of succeeding as a live service game i think is like right place right time because i i think even Fortnite came out at a time where people were like a little bit disillusioned with what PUBG was doing because PUBG had been around for a little bit and then Fortnite was like it's cartoony it's a little bit like it's a bit nicer for like a younger audience to enter and I think just kind of seeding that ground meant that people were like growing up with yeah, Fortnite. Yeah it also felt like I it's worth noting I I almost never play games like this yeah. so I'm definitely like an outsider for this genre but I'm always excited when I like actually do find one that works for me mm-hmm. um, and Overwatch very much did I mean Overwatch is somehow still my most played game on PlayStation yeah and I haven't played it in years other right. than the brief morning of Overwatch, Overwatch 2. Overwatch 2. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> every now and then I'm like tempted to go back because it's still Overwatch. I'm just like, it's not the same. Yeah. I, you know, it's like texting an X. Like I just got to move on. <laughs> um, but uh, 
I think when I played Overwatch, a lot of my friends who played Overwatch with me all went to Fortnite. Like there was definitely mm. like a Overwatch to Fortnite roadmap in like 2018. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Yeah, totally. I think Fortnite kind of had different appeal for different people, which I think is why it's so successful. And at this point, they're kind of leaning into that with just Fortnite being this like omni tool of a game. Yeah, it's just an everything game now. Yeah, exactly. It's like almost more of an app than a game <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's fascinating. But I, I do think, you know, in, in the space, in the realm of competitive online shooters, like, I don't know. I think Valorant was really big for a lot of people, but that was oh, P- yeah. that was PC only. You know, I, I just I just think that's there's... the blue sky of live service games, where it's like yeah. there's eight people having the time of their lives on it. I but... think I think Valorant's pretty popular it on is, PC, yeah. but I I would never know because I can't play it, and I desperately do want to play Valorant. Yeah, I would like, love to. I would love to play Valorant. Yeah. I just don't have a way to successfully play because I don't think you can play it on Steam on Steam Deck, which is sad. Interesting. Because uh, that was ha- that was like when when we got the Steam Deck, I remember looking into like, oh, I can pl- finally play Valorant. No, you can't. That also seems like to to join Valorant now without a mouse and keyboard yes. is sort of like showing up to soccer practice without cleats. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm doomed. Yeah, I'm gonna break my knees. Yeah, just gonna slip on the grass. Yeah. <laughs> it rained yesterday, and my mom's not here to bring orange slices. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I think one of the other things about about the finals that is really working for me, and I'll I'll, I'll shout out two two people in particular. Number one is a friend of the show, Brendan Klinkenberg, who texted me and was like, "You got to play the finals." So shout out to Brendan for just even putting it on my radar as a thing that I should give another thought to at all. Uh, and number two is Skill Up on YouTube, who posted a review that uh, pretty much said, you know, like, "Hey, this is really exciting. It's doing really well. You should check out the finals if you've written it off." And one of the things that he noted that I think is really fascinating and something that I don't really know because I'm not as embedded in the scene as, as anybody else, really. You know, it's like you and I are kind of on our own island over here. He was like, the the time to kill in this game is really, really high. Where if you've played, and you and I have played, I think games like Fortnite and Apex Legends, and like I played a lot of Halo Infinite and, you know, Call of Duty is famous for this. When you're playing competitive online multiplayer games right now, it's usually the case where if you get shot at all by another player, you will probably die immediately. Yeah. Like you don't even have time to react. And I think one of the things the finals really has going for it is the time to kill being really high means as soon as you get shot, you can like turn around and see who's shooting you or you can sprint away or you can try and hide or you can like pull out a flashbang and throw it behind you or like there's a lot of there's a lot of ways in which having a high time to kill like actually makes the game better and more strategic and more interesting which is something i kind of forgotten about because there's been about a decade of games like pushing in the opposite direction very purposefully and the other thing is that all the weapons have really high recoil because they're it's a little bit more realistic quote unquote i guess in that way you know again unsurprising coming from the team that made battlefield you know th- these are like really tactile like these are really tactile weapons that sound really good but are really hard to control and that means that there's like a pretty high skill ceiling and it's going to take a lot of people a really long time, I think, to figure out exactly what the like optimal quote unquote sh- strategies are. The other thing here is like it's not a hero shooter. You're building you're building classes and loadouts yourself. So it's a little bit like an old school Call of Duty in that way, like the Black Ops 2 era on the 360. But the the three classes that you can choose between are just light, medium and heavy. And depending on which of those you pick, you know, it'll obviously be like, OK, if you pick the light class, it means you have less health, but you run faster uh, your like stuff that you can equip or like ways to make yourself invisible. You can just equip a sword. You can have melee builds in this game if you want, which is wild. 
the the medium has like the the mercy healing gun and a defibrillator so you can like instantly revive people on your team if they die so you don't have to just sit there and like wait for them to respawn by holding y and like putting yourself in, in harm's way um and then the heavy is wild and i'm i'm like i've only been playing as the medium because i'm just trying to like internalize how you play this game before i really start to branch out and figure out i think how i want to play it personally um but the heavy seems like the obvious one to go with maybe like it just seems wildly unbalanced the heavy has the most health is technically slower but not that much slower than anybody else they have the wario shoulder charge so again (laughs) reminder all of the environments are destructible the heavy can just run through walls and you could destroy like you could destroy load bearing walls in a building in like a skyscraper and just take the whole building down <laughs> with a Wario tackle. Just with a Wario tackle. That rules. If you pick the melee weapon for the heavy, it's just a sledgehammer. So again, you could just swing at random and destroy all of the walls and again like tank a whole building around you. And and their weapons are like big LMGs with like infinite ammo that like, you know, the recoil's not as bad because they're like big dudes, you know, holding these big guns. Uh so all in all, the heavy seems like maybe the way to go. I've been playing as the medium, as I said, or like the medium uh, class, which honestly has been really fun and like really rewarding to just kind of like learn how to play the game. If you want to know like the actual mechanics of the game, there are two game modes. The, the main one that they kind of funnel people into is this one where it's 3v3v3 uh, and you and your teammates have to like find a big kind of vault filled with money somewhere on the map. And they have to take it to a bank and deposit it. And when you deposit that vault, it takes like a minute for it to deposit. So you have to like sit there and like kind of post up and wait and like hope it, you know, hope you don't die and hope it doesn't get stolen from you because any other team uh, can just like roll up and just like steal the money from you. And that's pretty much how you win. You just have to get the most money. And the other one, the other mode is uh, is one where it's, it's like very Scott Pilgrim or all of the things that Scott Pilgrim is inspired by, like video games, where you just run around and when people explode, they explode into coins and you pick up the coins and you deposit those coins. And like, that's really fun. And alongside all of that, you have again, like this kind of like fun, weird, irreverent VR energy. Um, there are like weird stage hazards that will show up all the time. So there's one that uh, Steven just saw when he was just playing where like, anytime somebody dies, they explode as if they're like C4. So like, if you again if you blow someone up like at the top of a build or at the bottom of a building like it might take the whole building down with them um there's another one where there's just orbital lasers which will just shoot down there's another one where aliens will show up and try and abduct players (laughs) which is wild um and then on top of that they also do this really smart thing with each of the levels where the levels are kind of like overwatch actually like you know overwatch is like a day or night cycle for the different levels yeah, they do a similar thing in this game where they have different time periods specifically. So it'll be like, you know, 2 p.m. or like 11 p.m. or, you know, whatever time of day it is, but also different weather conditions for all of them. And then also they can have different kind of stage hazards as well. where like, OK, maybe the vault is in like a suspended crane that's just moving around on top of the level. Or maybe there's a sandstorm that has filled the whole level with sand um there's just like a lot of different elements that are at play with this game that just kind of keep it fresh and interesting on a on a game-to-game basis which i've been really impressed by there's like a lot of variety i don't know i just i'm really impressed by the finals it's like it's a game i really had written off and i have found myself like really entranced by and like want to play all the time uh i'm going away for a week so i'm not going to be able to do that unfortunately uh but i do want to play a lot of the finals before before then you brought up something while we were talking about it before we started recording which is like the long term of the finals and i think that that's where this game is the most interesting to me because i mean they have like 
a battle pass and they have you know different customization options you can get different watches and bracelets and you know shirts and pants and hats and sunglasses and masks and all the different things and that's the that's the weird thing about the finals to me which is like it it does have that game show central theme but other Mm. than that there isn't really a strong sense of visual identity so the things you would like want from the battle pass are just like you can look like Elvis. Like it, yeah. it just feels it's funny when you don't have IP or like a genre that it's just sort of like, I don't know, you just get these things. That's that's I think where this game is gonna get really interesting. Because yeah. that, that actually that's kind of the same problem that Apex Legends had, if you recall. Right. Like wh- when those battle passes came I remember the first battle pass came out for Apex Legends, everyone was like, That's it. Yeah, you get like cargo shorts for caustic. Yeah. It's like, okay. Dude, what? Like why <laughs> why is that he he's already wearing cargo shorts? <laughs> spiritually yeah Yeah. uh i just i just remember those battle passes coming out and people being like i don't i'm not really interested in any of that stuff and at least like if you're playing the finals like there are some interesting outfits you can get in this game so far um but where i'm most curious about because this is like technically a just you know it's like mirror's edge in in that way where it's like it's a dystopian future where this is a game show that people are watching on tv or in their vr headsets or whatever man if this game gets big enough like i want hostess to sponsor this like i i i think this is maybe the best ever case for actual not even ip but like brands to sponsor (laughs) a first person shooter because like you know when when i don't know when you're looking at the the companies that are sponsoring this season of call of duty like it's the ones you would expect it's like energy yeah it's like manscaped you know like it's like not it's not it's not really that exciting i think what pops in here weirdly i think the finals like having like the announcers will be like at the end of every match it'll be like thanks to our sponsors for uh giving us the money for this match, you know things like that like they they literally shout out quote unquote the sponsors and hypothetically it's also the sponsors quote unquote who are sending in like the virtual aliens that are abducting players and like meteor showers that happen mid-match and all this stuff which is like very hunger games adjacent and i'm like honestly like lean in even more there like make it a like pepsi presents (laughs) aliens are abducting you like i think that that would actually almost heighten what this game is trying to do aesthetically even more like this is the one case ever in my whole life where i'm like just go full fucking capitalism with it like just drench me in bullshit for this game I, I would I would eat that up like no joke I've re, I, th- I think it I think it fits better in the finals than it had in anything else I don't think I don't think like IP like I want to be playing as Indiana Jones in the finals but I do think like literally just bringing brands in and being like Casper Mattress presents the oh floor is lava like fuck me up I I definitely would like them to lean into the satire more because it's not really it's it's weirdly not as direct as the premise would suggest you know, and That's I think the thing. It, it's still not going all the way. Yeah. It's more than any other game has ever gone, but it's still not at 100%. It's also hard to be like a sort of like edgy, anti-corporate piece of satire when you have a battle pass, you know, That's and you're the thing. like, I don't think it is anti-corporate. Like, yeah, it's I, not. I mean, it's by Nexon, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, That's one letter away from an oil company. Like, just fucking go all in with it. I'll say this about about the finals. I enjoyed playing it with you. I, I, I just think it's more that this is like, it's a very uphill battle for me with this genre to like want to get into it. Totally. I feel like I have what you have with fighting games where it's like, I want to, but like, I'm still not sure what works for me and what doesn't within the genre. Yeah. The ones that have, and I think are notably different than, you know, this model of FPS or 
or live service game are Overwatch and Splatoon. And I think in both those cases, there's like a focus on character and aesthetic that is like very one of a kind. Yeah. Um, the thing about Splatoon that always surprises me when I play it is like you can see where the dollar signs would be. Yes. You know, like in any like this game is like you have to pay real money to look like Elvis, whereas like you're getting the best fashion ever in Splatoon just by buying the game, yeah. you know? And like, I love that. Like, I think it's actually great that that does exist in this current state of FPS. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how the finals will develop and like which of the, there's almost a weird battle royale of battle royales at this point. You know, I think when we started the show, it was specifically like everyone was trying to make a battle royale. And now I feel like, I don't want to say fad, but I guess that's the word for it, right? Like, I feel like that, zeitgeist has faded a bit yeah battle royales are kind of done at this point i think fortnite like really just took the crown and ran with it now it's like extraction shooters or games trying to be like rust you know yeah exactly like the volheims so, of the world I'm, I'm curious like what will stick around what will develop but if the finals it was cool to like check it out like oh this is fun i could see like why people like it and i do really like the sense of movement like it does remind me of Titanfall 2 and Mirror's Edge in that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in the final. I, I just like having a game like this, and I haven't since Halo Infinite. Like, I kind of dropped off Halo Infinite at some point in the last, like, year, year and a half, somewhere in that vicinity. Because Halo Infinite, like, was the one for a while, but at a certain point, I, I don't know. I, did, I just didn't feel like I could be competitive in that game. Yeah. And it's it's nice to be getting into a game like this kind of early in its life cycle where not everyone is a golden god at this point. You know, right. not everyone has unlocked the Natalie Portman in the Black Swan uh, outfit, which is at level 100 of the battle pass right now. <laughs> is, that, is that the final thing? Yeah, that's the final. Th- it's the finals thing. <laughs> um, but I do I do like the finals a lot. I'm like really surprised by how much I like the finals and I, I can't wait to play more of it. Uh if you want to watch that that uh that stream that AJ and I did, it's on our YouTube now. So you can go check that out. Um at the point that this episode is coming out, it's been out for like weeks. So Finally. Finally. We're cool. done we're done with this segment. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's not what I meant consciously. Uh but I am happy you're having fun. Steven keeps giving me the wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> Enough. Please wrap it up. Thanks. Pepsi Corp is outside and they're pissed. <laughs> they're, they're pissed. I, I leaked what they're doing in the yeah. finals next season. I would love if Pepsi sponsors the finals, you should fill the arena with Pepsi. Yes. Yes. Like I, I see what you're now. I'm picking up what you're putting. Down. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are already canisters that make weird goo. Yeah. Which like makes me uh, make it Play-Doh. Make it, it makes me wonder what else, what other corporate products you could litter the arena with. I know. I, yeah. I weirdly would love that. Yeah. One can only dream. One can only dream of what's to come in the finals <laughs> on Xbox, PlayStation, and Steam. We did just, we kept both going like the finals while we were playing. It's hard was, to not. That was more fun than the finals to me. <laughs> I was just saying the finals. But isn't it worth noting that if the finals didn't exist, we wouldn't have that joke? I mean, that's exactly. I'm grateful for that reason. Thank you to the Catalyst, and by that I mean the finals. Thank you to the canisters of foam and to the much better enemies I was facing. Yes, and to your teammates. Thank you. Yes, thank you, teammates. For, I also kept being like, over here, we should go over there. And then I like would just <laughs> they die. They even kept pinging walls. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of thrilling. All right, want to move on? Yeah, let's do it. Sounds good. Bye. See ya. Hello. Hey. We're back in the show. Welcome. I'm very excited to hear this next game. Yeah. This is this is now a legacy January video game this for us. Is, you're getting full element, Steven, again. Yeah. If, if you felt like I was kind of a nobody last section, 
Steve Vixen. Uh, yeah, believe it or not, we're not talking about Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. If I, if I felt husk adjacent uh, last section, I'm fully back for You're, this one. It's the beginnings. It's the beginnings. Yes. The, the finals are behind us. Yes. Yeah. So I, I've been playing a game that I uh, have talked about on the show a lot. Stephen has talked about it on the show a lot. We uh, have a bonus. We have a bonus all about it. If you want to hear us talk about it, ad nauseum. I think that was 2021. We did that episode. Yeah. 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 It's Dragon Quest 11 S. Echoes of an Elusive Age, Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch. 2D mode. 2D mode. 2D mode. It keeps changing and it gets longer. Yes. Yeah. So one of the things that's interesting about Dragon Quest XI... So let's back up. If you're new to the show, if if the Goatee episode was your first one, if somebody recommended the show to you, first of all, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for giving us a chance. Uh, There's pressure on this episode to like seal the deal, you know? <laughs> That's I think that's why the finals curveball is like, damn it. Like yeah. I wanna be full I wanna be my full self. We're gonna yeah, I'm just gonna bribe you later. <laughs> dear dear listener. Um no, I Dragon Quest Eleven is maybe my favorite game of all time. It's like really up there with Hollow Knight, which I think is amazing that my two favorite games of all time are ones that I have played in the tenure of doing this podcast. Yeah. Which isn't is that cool? That's like one of really the favorite things about doing this show is discovering yeah. lifelong favorites now. Yeah. I, I love Dragon Quest XI so much. I have played it one and a half times so far. I have not finished a second playthrough of it completely. But, you know, as, as I mentioned in a previous episode, I've been just like kind of auditioning January games. And specifically the, the two consoles that I'm bringing with me on my trip that I'm going on for a week are the Nintendo Switch and my Miu Mini. Uh, just because I, I want like, I want, I want to keep it real sparse and real tiny, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to bring the Steam Deck uh, I don't want to bring my whole PlayStation 5 with me, obviously, to the woods. What about your Dreamcast? I'm not going to bring my Dreamcast to the woods. <sighs> Sorry, Steven. Uh, but that said, I feel like one of one of the things that I've always just kind of danced around the idea of checking out but never really did until this week was the 2D mode in Dragon Quest XI, which if you don't know about that, it is maybe the greatest flex of all time by Square Enix. Yeah. So Dragon Quest XI... Full 3D RPG turn-based combat. It is a love letter to the rest of the Dragon Quest franchise. It's a love letter, like the whole medium of video games, a love letter to RPGs. I think it's also worth stressing what a successful transition it is into 3D. Yes. I feel like Toriyama's art style is not super easy to make 3D. Yeah, look at the lineage of terrible Dragon Ball Z games. Yeah, right. I feel like... Anime style in general, like he has a very distinct style within anime, obviously, but yeah. I feel like it's kind of hard to translate that style often into 3D. I think like the 3D Ghibli film is a good example of like what can happen in a yes. negative way, unfortunately. Yes. Um, I think I can count on on one hand maybe the number of Akira Toriyama adapted 3D art styles that have like really worked. Usually there are some the, that are like passable. Yeah. Usually they're cell shaded. Or yeah. like in the case of Dragon Quest Eight, which is pretty good, they actually up the exaggeration of it. Yeah, that actually makes it not uncanny. The thing about Dragon Quest Eleven is that they actually like grounded a bit. It's a mm-hmm. little bit more grounded in realism. Yeah, and it really works. It doesn't feel uncanny at all. Yeah. So it it is a full ass three D video game, big open world that you can go explore. It is uh, for my money, I think just the best rpg i have ever played uh i love it so much yeah again we have a whole bonus about it. <laughs> when i say that the, the huge flex is the 2d mode so at any point in in dragon quest 11 you can go to a church 
which is where you save. You, you specifically have to repent for your sins yes. to save. Yes, you, you have to confess to yeah. a priest. And when you confess everything you've done, he writes it all down in a book, and that's how you save, yeah. which is like amazing. And that's, in that's a series-wide thing. Yeah, that's not just Eleven. They've been doing that since the beginning, which is yeah. very funny. Uh, but at any point, you can go talk to that priest, and you can be like, I want to see the world in a completely different way. And the priest will be like, you want me to ask God to help you visualize your existence with a completely new set of eyes and you're like yes and the whole game will transition into a 2d top-down super nintendo era styled version of dragon quest 11 complete with like super nintendo ass cutscenes, uh synthesized versions of the music which is notably what dragon quest 11 originally launched with um it is the full game it is the full game the full open world all of the side quests all of the equipment, all of the everything. It's the whole game. I think this was added specifically in the definitive version because it was on the 3DS version. Yeah, the 3DS version was this, from yes. what I know. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah the the 3DS version is weird because it had two things in it. It had a, a really shrunk down version. It was like chibi art version of Dragon uh, Quest XI. And also the 2D mode, which I think was a little bit like, well, you're not getting the full console version of Dragon Quest XI, so we'll also include this thing. Uh, again, still a huge flex, because that means there are three full versions <laughs> of art styles they made for this game. It's yeah. kind of like what we were talking about with Astral Ascent, which is like, it's amazing that they have three art styles and all of them are good. It's also as if you were playing FF7 Remake and at any point, Cloud could be like, I want to look like shit again. Yes. Can you swip it, switch it back to the polygons real yes. quick? Yeah, it's, it's as if you could switch back to the PS1 art style on Final Fantasy VII Remake, but still have the full range of motion, yeah. and it was the exact same yeah. game from a like control perspective. Also, for the record, I'm a defender of the polygon models, just to be clear. That's nice. In case you, you're meeting me for the first That's time. That's nice, honey. That's <laughs> Come on! <laughs> No. I deserve it post final. No, I liked it too. I, I mean, yeah. as we talked about on that bonus episode, that is that is a, a an art style which at some point while playing, your brain just forgets. Looks also, like that. I think it like it becomes a stylistic choice once you get to Final Fantasy Nine. Yeah, it's like Nine does that pre rendered background three D model really well. Yes, and I think games like Fantasian kind of creatively put a spin on it in yeah. terms of having the dioramas be the pre-rendered backgrounds yeah back to 2d mode okay so here's the, here's the thing i would never in a million years recommend 2d mode as somebody's first way of playing dragon quest 11 yeah. but for people like you and i who have played the whole ass game and the post game there is something really magical about re-experiencing this game from a 2d standpoint and this is mainly a pitch for you i just think you'd like it a lot because especially since doing that episode you and I have played a lot of other Dragon Quest games. Mm -hmm. That was like notably the first, like that was our introduction to Dragon yeah. Quest in a lot of ways and like just made both of us huge fans of that franchise. You and I played four, five, and six on the DS episode uh, and one of those games made it to our top five. Yes. I don't want to give it away in case you haven't heard it. But I, I think like those games by themselves were like really great. I think examples for us of something that we've said a lot, but we've really proved for ourselves, which is if you can play one Dragon Quest game and enjoy it, you can play any of them and also enjoy them. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the thing that I need. Like I needed to go play a bunch of those games and kind of shake those cobwebs off so I could jump into the 2D mode in Dragon Quest Eleven and be like, okay, this is this is also a viable way of playing this game. And it like fully is. I think one of the things that's really interesting about it is 
because it is a like trunk it's a slightly truncated version of the world like it, it takes less time obviously to go from point to point on the map right whereas in dragon quest 11 the main game if you're running from you know your starting town to the next one you have to go to which is like the castle in heliodor which is like the main city uh that takes like 30 minutes to like get from point a to point from cobblestone where you start to heliodor it takes like 30 minutes to like run across that whole piece of the map, get into a bunch of fights or side quests. There's like a mini boss. There's like a bunch of stuff going on that probably takes 10, maybe five in the 2d mode, because as soon as you leave a town, it just becomes the like, you know, old school RPG overworld that you're just running across. And also when you're in towns, this is the other thing that I really like when you're in towns, it's really easy to just like pop into every house real quick and see like, okay, there's a bookshelf I can read something in. There's like a dresser I can open up and check. There's like a pot I can smash and then I'm out of here. I just, I just find because you're not moving through an actual 3d space and because a lot of it is, is a little bit more um, abstract instead of literalized. It's a lot easier to like take in the entire game this time around. So I feel like I'm kind of speed running dragon quest 11 and what's beautiful, again, is at any point I could just go into a church, talk to a priest and be like, put me back in 3D mode. And it just picks up my save where I left off and then I'm playing the game the normal, quote unquote, the normal way again. That's amazing. It's ridiculous. It's a huge flex to have that. Yeah, I think it also shows you the strength of both design because yeah. we're obviously still getting 2D RPGs like Octopath yes. Traveler. And I just feel like D makes are something that there's like a huge audience for. You know, like yeah. obviously the Bloodborne remake got a lot of attention, and I just I constantly see artists on social media that are like maybe specifically pixel artists that are like, "Here's Ocarina of Time if it was on Super Nintendo," yeah, or like even Square leading up to I think Lightning Returns, one of the thirteen sequels, they did like a recap of thirteen and thirteen two mm-hmm. in the Super Nintendo sprites. Cool. It's amazing. And there are a lot of the people commenting on that video were like, I want a full game of this. Yes. You know, I, I think especially that Super Nintendo art style, which is like famously timeless. I, I think there's a lot you can do with it still. And I think knowing like, okay, you bringing up like navigating towns is easier and like getting that like dose of NPC dialogue is yeah. easier. Um, but then like being out at sea in 3D is like so much more transportive. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can flip between the two is amazing. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely want to check that out because I, I think I had just started Dragon Quest Eleven in Draconic mode as my next playthrough. Yeah. That's, which, yeah. Which, <laughs> do, you, do you want to shout out what Draconic mode is? Yeah, Draconic mode is, is basically a way to make it harder, but you can actually toggle off and on what you mean by that yes so like you can make bosses harder enemies harder uh you can make townspeople lie to you yeah uh and then there's one i forgot is it like your party members just start laughing every there, now and then uh, there's one called shy pox yes that's what i was thinking which of, makes yeah. it so uh the hero will every once in a while get too embarrassed to like do anything in battle and there's another one called super shy pox which means that if the hero gets it sometimes it'll spread to the rest of the party yeah uh which is very funny and honestly i would like recommend doing yeah i think i just did the harder difficulty yeah um there's another one that makes it so you can't buy anything at shops yeah i i just like the town super lying to you one for some reason it's really funny i might have put that on because i know what to do yeah i want to see the lies yeah of p um (laughs) of d dragons anyway uh (laughs) but you've inspired me i mean that's a game that i always want to revisit but it's also like it's so gripping that I'm worried it will be all I do. Yeah. Like, even just starting that again and seeing the opening cutscene, I was just like, oh my God, I'm back. Yeah. But that game also, we did that bonus 
in the thick of quarantine. Yeah. And that was one of the games that like got me through that time. Me too. And in I don't think way. I would have beaten the post game if we weren't like forced indoors. Yeah. But I'm so glad I did. It was a really rewarding experience. That's kind of why I'm, I'm I'm interested in revisiting it right now. Is yeah. like I think as a way to kind of tide me over until I hear anything else about Dragon Quest Twelve. Yeah, for real. At all. Other than that, it's kind of edgy. Yeah. We're all like bracing ourselves for like a Shadow the Hedgehog esque Dragon Quest. Yeah, the hero's gonna have a fucking gun. But we we love Vincent Valentine so much that i think we'd be into anything at this point maybe he should have a gun <laughs> what if it's just the finals <laughs> yeah <laughs> you finish the battle pass and it just replaces the name with <laughs> the final quest oh my oh, no. god yeah yuji hori is like this is how i retire yeah just this is always our dig plan. A grave for dragon quest we were pissed fortnite did the battle pass thing first because we always envisioned dragon quest would eventually ending with a this. battle pass yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah just and yeah dragon quest 11 it, it's this wonderful swan song in a weird like it just feels it feels like they could have ended dragon quest with 11 if they wanted to yeah and it's weird to think that there's going to be a 12 yeah i mean i it seems like 12 will be the beginning of a new direction i I think that's because yeah i don't know exactly that quote about it being darker or edgier we don't even really know what that means they just say it's more they say it's more for adults yeah which in previous entries the thing about dragon quest that's interesting is that for those who don't know the series that well like it's known for not veering too far away from tradition yeah it's the opposite of final fantasy which we talk about all the time where final fantasy is a new swing each entry. It's a basically a new series with every numbered entry. Right. Uh, in some cases, like directly with like FF14 being the MMO. Dragon Quest, meanwhile, is usually a retelling of familiar elements, but they all do something unique to themselves. Like yeah. Dragon Quest V sort of has a Pokemon thing going on. It's like maybe the reason we have Pokemon. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Four has sort of almost an Octopath Traveler thing with like the rotating yeah. perspective. Like they all have like it's not like they have a gimmick, but they all try just enough differently that like there's a reason for a sequel. Yeah. Um. So I, it's curious to think that like twelve is being set up as like this is going to be notably different from the series that is essentially banking on nostalgia and familiarity. Yeah. Famously, at one point in the development of eleven, they were considering not having turn-based combat yeah that did not go very well with the fandom (laughs) and now it has turn-based combat and i'm glad it i'm glad it does to be clear but uh they've they've experimented with that before i imagine they won't go that far with this one but yeah it's interesting i wonder if i was like a lifelong because you know again dragon quest 11 was our entry point into it yeah i i i've always been an rpg fan but my entry point was final fantasy 7 yeah so initially i actually didn't really like 11 that much like I brought it to the show when I first played it in like 2019, I think. And I liked it enough to talk about it on the show, but like, I don't know. I just found it to be like, uh, it's cool to see where the genre began, but like, I feel like we've moved past this. Yeah. And I was so wrong. <laughs> it was like, there's something really comforting about knowing exactly what's going to happen. And and even then, even, like even in that, there are moments where the story does deviate yes. or does surprise you. And yeah. I think that's that those are the moments where you hit these really like really kind of peak emotional highs and and you understand why people love dragon quest so much is like you think you have it all mapped out in your head and it's the moments where there's a cutscene that plays and like a piece of information is revealed to you that is so left field from your expectation that yeah. it like knocks you off your fucking ass 
uh, that like rocks. Yeah, and rocks. I think like falling in love with Eleven when we revisited it, um, and then doing that episode. It, it almost reminds me too of Mario, which maybe is a weird comparison, but like a lot of jumping, a lot, yeah. <laughs> but Mario games are always going to be like some of the best platformers to exist, yeah. But they each kind of do something a little bit differently, right? And seeing the full extent of Dragon Quest Eleven, it's like they are still making the best RPGs in some ways, yeah. I mean, the genre has changed so much that like what you or what an individual wants from RPGs can be anything at this point. Right. But there's still a huge place for Dragon Quest and and people are still trying to make Dragon Quest S games. Yeah. So it just, it 11 feels like a swan song and a mic drop and a reminder that they're the best at what they do. Yeah. No, you're totally right. And I think the 2d mode is just another way of showcasing that, right? The fact that this game is so good, the story and the characters and the combat are so good that you could present it in any visual style and it still feels that good yeah. is like remarkable. Yeah. And I think any developer would probably sell their soul to be able to do something on that level, <laughs> you know? It's amazing. Yeah, that's it's, awesome. It's oh, I definitely will check out that that 2D mode. Cool. Cool. You should. Anyway, uh speaking of giving games another chance, I have a couple that are two games that either you or myself or both of us had written off that I've revisited. Wow. So I'm going to take a break and I'll get into those. Yeah, weird theme of the episode, I guess. Yeah, second chances. Second chances. It's that, not final till you say it is. Yeah, 2024, the year of second chances. I like that. I actually like that too. Me too. All right. Wow. Bye-bye. See ya. Brendan. Steven. Did you like my cryptic transition for us? I did. It's the well, year of second chances. It's the year of second chances. And uh, the first game I have in my second chance... Actually... AJ, give us a little music for this. I, I, I always love hearing what public domain stuff you pull up for fleeting <laughs> miniseries. The year of second chances. Wow. That okay. was great, AJ. I got, I got two games for the second chances here. Uh, the first is the first episode of Life is Strange. Wow. So the, I, I had never played any Life is Strange before. The only thing I knew about this entire series is the scene where the mean girls tell the protagonist, go fuck your selfie. Yeah. And not only did that dissuade me from ever playing the game, but I used it multiple times as like a point of reference of how to not write like YA, basically. Yeah, you, yeah, you brought that moment up a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. And you've also played this game. Before. I have. Yeah. Did you not like it? No. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like definitively. Yeah, I, so I I had those same issues with the writing. I also had a lot of issues from a gameplay perspective. I have heard that the other, like the sequels, are much better at that. And mm. I am slightly inclined to check them out one day, give them a second chance. Yeah. Uh, but the first game, I, I just like, I had a pretty rough time with. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, so I, I saw that the first episode was free on Steam. And I was like... That's great. Now's the time. Yeah. Because I... Anytime there's a sale, these games are often on sale, and I'm always tempted to be like, is now the time I give Life is Strange a shot? Because I, yeah. again, Dragon Quest Eleven, I, I initially didn't really like that much, and I love being proven wrong. I think Dragon Quest Eleven is like the, the dream example of second chances. Totally. Like giving something another shot and be like, oh my god. it just Because sometimes, like, I think doing this kind of show... Like, obviously, we have the benefit that we can talk about whatever games we want, whether they're new or old, and we can, you know, bring them up more than once. We could have, like, a whole bonus about a game and still want to talk about it later. Yeah, this show is our oyster. (laughs) 
Wow, you really like that. <laughs> it was good. You're really good at like when I'm finally on a roll, you just kind of in a good way pull the rug under me. <laughs> yes, and pull the rug. <laughs> I think I think we're a little bit conditioned as a society to like not only like decide what value media has like the minute it comes out yeah but also like even just as an individual like did we like that or not Mm -hmm. and i think famously like film for example i think really benefits from rewatching and from years of distance you know we've seen so many like so many of the films that are often considered you know greatest of all time were initially box office bombs or kind of divisive in the theater yeah and or divisive amongst critics i should say and i think the same can be true of games i mean i don't know if it's like quite because i think games have the added disadvantage of like the hardware limitation and like if something was a bomb say on ps2 like the xenosaga trilogy yeah you just most likely can't play that legally right without spending way too much money on ebay or trying to find a way to emulate it basically um let me give a quick shout out to the discord channel for marvel's midnight suns yeah that's a game that in 10 years everyone's gonna be like why did we write this game off right so i like i like the fact that like we we should always challenge ourselves to not definitively write something off or just to give it meaning right away without like having that distance of time or or revisiting it in some way. Of course, there's always going to be cases where like you just know definitively, like that's not for me. Yeah. But life is strange. Like on paper, this is something that you and I should really like because we like narrative driven games. We like choice driven games. It's amazing that Square Enix is the one publishing it. Yeah. And I think I personally really like, you know, coming of age narratives that have sort of a supernatural twist. Yeah. That's like, perfect it's i think it's usually the kind of game i would go for without a second thought yeah but don't fuck yourself he lingered above like a phantom yes. but i powered through because it was for free and i downloaded it um and i i had a great time with it i think nice the issue the, the thing about don't fuck yourself is that it's actually <laughs> way worse out of context there is a reason why that's the insult yes it's still not like a great line of dialogue but it's not quite as bad as it would be just like as if the writers were like, what do kids say in 2015? But that I does- do. I do find also I think it's it's worth doubling down on the go fuck yourselfie of it all because it's <laughs> it's so it's so common for one thing like that to be the dagger that everybody uses to shove into the like hope and optimism and just like happiness somebody has about a piece of media. You know, anybody who's out here being like, I like Life is Strange, it's like, well, what about go fuck yourself? And, right. and then I'm fucking out. Yeah. You know, it's like what whatever the one YouTuber at the time decided was going to be the zeitgeist became the zeitgeist. <laughs> and then every forum post about that thing from that point on became just go fuck yourself. Exactly. You know, yeah. and I, I think that's why it's so wonderful that you went and revisited this game despite that. And I think that's why we're constantly trying to challenge our our previously held beliefs about because there's thing. also like there are so many games that i adore that if you took one scene out of context would would look like why would anyone want to play this yeah like i love persona and my god there are so many scenes in persona that if you just like took out the same yeah, if you way, were like persona is bad because of this line like you could there are like 150 you could pick from <laughs> exactly. any persona game <laughs> yes if you just took ryuji going god i need salts like out of context <laughs> you would probably fuck your selfie persona out of existence. Mm-hmm. So Life is Strange, I had a really great time. I, I've only played the first episode. This game was released very much like The Walking Dead 
Telltale games. It yeah. shares a lot in common with that series overall. This came out in 2015, which feels like the tail end of that style of game. Yeah. Because The Walking Dead was in like 2012-ish and also followed like Mass Effect really like being a huge hit. And I feel like for a long time, this idea of like so-and-so will remember that or like your choices will change everything was yeah. like kind of a big selling point for a lot of games right um and this game is very much doing that whenever you make a choice there's a little butterfly icon on the screen that will be like this will have consequences i had to i had to laugh when i watered a plant and it was like this will have consequences <laughs> I'm like i should hope so i'm keeping a plant alive um but uh the whole premise of life is strange for those who don't know at least the first episode in the first game because there are multiple games is that you play as max caulfield who's a teenager at this like art school basically and she quickly realizes she has the power to rewind time so it all kind of starts when she goes to the bathroom after class and sees someone get shot like accidentally and yeah. die and she quickly learns she can rewind time and prevent that from happening so the beginning beats of the game like a lot of it is sort of just establishing like her as a character and her place in this school and there are a lot of lines that try too hard like the don't fuck yourself leave it all doesn't go away like there's a, honestly the worst line is you look like the poster girl of hipster.com that to me is worse oh man <laughs> but i have oh. to say like while the forced you know and that's that's the thing is like i'm 33 i have no idea what teenagers talk like now nor should i and if i learn <laughs> i'm probably learning what they talked like five years ago yeah i think but the thing is like teenagers are people everyone's lived through that part of their life mm -hmm. while they that period of your life is always going to be informed by different things we've all had a shared experience and if you're writing from a very honest point of view that will connect with a young audience yeah. regardless of what app was popular at that time. I think Freaks and Geeks is like the gold standard for me mm -hmm. where like that show takes place in 1980 and in some ways is a fun time capsule with like the references to pop culture and music and stuff. But like it feels so modern. Like you could watch that show at any age because I think what what drives that story and those characters is just like the raw emotion of it and like it doesn't try to glamorize that time if anything it's a reminder of how horrific it is yeah and like how uncertain it is and that's also the, one of the few shows that doesn't cast 30 year olds as teenagers right. so it is like <laughs> these are children you know these are lost children that are being awkwardly thrust into this ambiguous period of adulthood right you know and this game in its best moments does captured the emotion of it like i think early on in during the opening credits or just like the intro of the game max is in the hallway and puts on headphones to kind of drown everyone out right, and like yeah that to me is one of the most successful parts of it because it's just like everyone's done that you know it's a little bit cliche but like i have such vivid memories of like blasting at the drive-in on my way to class like yeah not wanting to hear or see anyone and at that age almost no one has a filter so like even if you're just going to get like an insult thrown at you consciously or not by someone, right? whether it's a classmate or a teacher, everyone, no matter when you grow up, that is like a thing you go through as a kid. And I think when the game has the confidence to just like 
show those moments without mercy mm-hmm. and not pull its punches, I think it's really successful. The other thing that kind of gives me pause is like, it is a heavy game. It doesn't shy away from some really heavy material, which I simultaneously like, but sometimes it almost goes so far that I find like, it's kind of like when a story raises the stakes way too fast. Yeah. And I think this game is most successful when it is kind of a slice of life thing. Mm. So when it becomes like, almost like murder mystery adjacent or like disaster movie adjacent without spoiling that's where it kind of loses me a little bit but i think like there are a lot of sequences early on in the first episode where you're just like walking around the dorm and you can just choose to get to know and help people out that was my favorite part of that game yeah i think that those moments are really successful and how the feature works is like they introduce the time travel mechanic in kind of a point and click way where the first thing you you have to do to progress is the mean girls arbitrarily the don't fuck yourself you forgot her name but it, the quote supersedes the name yeah she's sitting with her friends in front of the dorm and she won't let you pass which is like it feels like this this feels like point and click logic more than it feels like bullying where it's like <laughs> i'm just not gonna move okay and then you quickly learn like oh you can actually like pull the sprinkler lever and and scare them away and you have to do a few things and like rewind time and it's max being like oh i like move this bucket of paint over and then pull the lever then they're like they're actually going to finally leave yeah um but then there are some like telltale moments where like after you do that you can choose you can choose whether or not you comfort your bully and like i think those moments feel more meaningful because in 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 one way you're kind of getting to role play it does kind of remind me of mass effect a little bit both in terms of like max is an author character but you're getting to choose what she does and what she says yeah and also the awkwardness of like having a dialogue wheel where you actually do have to just go through all of it but instead of like tell me about the quarians it's like tell me about the high school rumors you know just like all like (laughs) just that stuff i think what most impressed me by this game i i actually disagree i think the time travel mechanic is it at least so far is really well used in my opinion because while i think the whole sequence with like trying to get into your dorm is a little bit tedious eventually there are points where like like early on it's very clear you can help someone and max will be like oh man if i rewind time i can tell that girl to move her head before the football hits her and it's like that's just like easy you can help them and there's no consequence but eventually there are going to be times where like you try to help someone and it kind of backfires then max will be like oh maybe i shouldn't have done that and you rewind time and you choose the other thing and it's kind of a similar ambiguous result yeah and i think that's like the way they kind of foreshadow that that's going to be the bulk of the game is like you kind of have to make the best out of a bad scenario Mm -hmm. is also just that period in your life like you are so powerless at that point where you are being asked to make choices, but like in the confines of, you know, high school and and what's been set for you. And also like really having to ask yourself as the player, like what is the best choice? I mean, I think it's one of the heavier scenes, but it was my favorite moment so far where uh, Max reunites with her old friend, Chloe, who's like kind of a fuck up, but also like a very good person. And they used to be really close and they're kind of estranged now, but trying to reconnect and there's a point where you're hanging out in her room and then her st- her like very militaristic like gun nut stepdad comes home and you're asked to hide and you could either choose to hide or not. Oh, yes. I and, do remember this. Yeah. Yes. And then yes, like, yes, yes. Uh, so the first time I just couldn't, tr- I couldn't find where to hide. And then he came in and he, you know, freaked out and was, was rude and awful and terrible. 
and uh, he finds weed, and you can choose whether or not you like take the blame. Yeah. So if you take the blame, Max is like, like Chloe's like, hey, thanks for that. Uh, she did. She does say that was an epic win, which does kind of diffuse the moment. But uh, <laughs> you take the blame for Chloe, and she's like, oh, like that kind of strengths that strengthens your friendship and trust. But then Max is like, but that my scholarship is dependent on my clean record. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I should think about my own future. So then if you ride her out, like you're good, but she you know the scene actually plays out in a worse way for her right meanwhile when you hide you're actually given a choice of whether or not you come out of hiding to come to her defense and like it it, there's just no winning in that scene yeah like it's just like every outcome is is bad in a different way and while that's kind of a bummer i think it's like i think that to me is a really strong moment of choice and that's i think what made the walking dead game so compelling for their time is just like you have to choose who survives, you know? And I think that I'm a little bit over the walking dead, like doom and gloom who dies next stuff. But those games, I would, are, I haven't played them in a long time, but those were my favorite pieces of walking dead media same, because yeah, of, of the really immersion the of the player, yeah. you know, like, and having to really ask yourself, like, what does it mean to be like a leader or a good friend? And like, where do you draw the line when there are these impossible decisions? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I overall, I find the writing of the game inconsistent, but I do like the characters. I do like the voice acting a lot. I think the performances really add a lot to them. And I'm curious to see where it goes next from here. Um, and, you know, if the plot loses me, I might check out later entries. I haven't heard much about two. There was a recent one where the superpower was like seeing emotion or something like it was a different superpower. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the first game and I assume the second one and as you just mentioned, the third one are are all stemming from powers that like you wish you had when you were that age also. Right. Like literally like the most requested thing I feel like secretly amongst everybody when they're in high school is like, man, I wish I could do this moment again yeah like because i or fucked if up you're so playing bad. it as an adult like what would i do differently if i was yeah back in high school i think know? i think that's such a smart decision and it also as you're mentioning because it adds kind of like a point and click energy to it, it's like okay cool in this game you're just able to rewind time whenever you want and try things again but in ones where you can see people's emotions like that is a completely different way of engaging with a game uh and, and with with a story and i think that's it's really brilliant to just keep this lineage of life is strange going just knowing you could add a new power that high schoolers wish they had <laughs> and that, that allows you to to interact in a totally different way it um, really reminds yeah. me of <laughs> paranormal site which is a it's a horror game <laughs> yeah you know you're right novel, though but in that game everyone has a different like curse power yeah one of which is a detective who can tell if you're lying yeah which is like maybe the best gift a detective could have yeah, but rocks. it does kind of inform all the different characters playthroughs yeah i think designing around a central mechanic in this way is really cool yeah i mean sometimes it's just sort of like you try to open a box and it falls in a puddle and max is like oh i shouldn't have done that and then he rewinds <laughs> it like, okay thanks square enix oh max does at one point say like whoa sick plasma tv i'd love to watch final fantasy the spirits within on this thing no way yeah she's like i don't care what anyone says that movie rules really yeah that's great i do love that line and and it did weirdly light a fire into me to finally watch that movie again okay talk about second chances i don't think i've ever been more disappointed than when, as a kid, I went to see Spirits Within, you expecting funny, it to Steven? be like FF7. I think that is actually the first piece of Final Fantasy media I, have, <laughs> I ingested Within. was Spirits Within. I think I rented it from the library to watch that's amazing. before I'd played any Final Fantasy games. But yeah, that's that's mostly all I have to say about uh, Life is Strange currently. I mean, maybe 
maybe if I if I play the other episodes, I'll bring it up again. But I'm glad I gave it a shot at the very least, just to experience episode one. I can see why this series means a lot to a lot of people because I think especially when it came out, it it was fairly unique for the time. Yeah, you know, like I don't. I think for a lot of people, this might have been their introduction to like point and click adjacent games or just narrative driven games in general yeah i mean telltale really cornered the market on that yeah. right like there was yeah. there was the walking dead which is obviously a big deal but they also had the wolf among us and the batman games and game of game thrones, of thrones and, game of thrones was kind of the tipping point i think yeah there was just like there's just so much going on there uh it was nice to see just another developer try this at all yeah, you know and, and totally. just and just say like hey we can run with it but also in a kind of more mundane direction you know like just yeah. bringing it down to human level i think was really smart yeah i don't know i don't know if if i'm gonna check i i'm actually more curious if you finish this game and you move on to the second one and you like that one maybe that'll be where i jump back in i think the second one is a from what i know it's a different cast yeah i think they're all different casts right yeah i know i know the most i think it might be true colors the most recent one but and that's also a different developer full circle the developer original developer of of life is strange made jassant uh, the game that AJ brought to go. Oh, don't nod. Yeah, yeah. They they moved on to that, which is interesting. Uh, which that's a game I really want to play. Too. Yeah, same. But yeah, I'll keep you posted. I mean, I think like I know AJ is a big fan of these games, and 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 they've also been like the reason I I wanted to check them out. Um, I know a lot of people who really love them. So yeah, it's cool just to even if I don't get that myself, it's cool to see like oh, I can see why this would work with someone else. Right. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's life is strange. Life is strange, Stephen. Shall I move on? Shall we take a quick break and I'll move on to my next game? Sure. Sounds good. Let's rewind time and then I'll bring up a different game. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, shit. I shouldn't have dropped that. Oh, man. The finals now I again. I drop it. <laughs> We're back. Hey. We're still talking about games that you're giving second chances to. Yes. And you have specific, you, you've threatened me. <laughs> Okay. Peacock feathers, yeah, on edge, doing a dance in my own home, yeah. And you told me that you have a surprise for me that you've checked out a game. You just asked me in the break if I had any guess what it might be. I have no idea, Stephen. What is the other game that you're jump scaring me with? The other game that I'm jump scaring you with is Xenoblade Chronicles Two. Okay. <laughs> first, first instinct, leave. <laughs> then remembered again. This is my own home. <laughs> <laughs> okay wait wait can i <laughs> okay can i um level set yeah yeah, yeah level yeah. set yeah i wanted to revisit why yeah yes I, I like what you're doing xenoblade chronicles 3 a game you and i talked about a lot really loved love that game yes xenoblade chronicles 1 i played on the nintendo wii before i really had an appreciation for the genre at all uh, didn't like very much, then revisited after playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3 a bunch, revisited the definitive edition on the Switch and really loved it, made it like halfway in, which is notable because these games are all like 100 hours plus. Yes, yes. Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I played really, really, really early in the show. It is the only game for the Nintendo Switch I bought a physical copy of. Yeah for myself because i knew i would want to return it <laughs> i knew i wouldn't like it but i was like i'm gonna challenge myself because that's what this show is all about yeah and that you bought that game at the time so the second season of our show was a time where you hadn't had much ex this is pre-dragon quest yes so you specifically were trying to get into rpgs specifically jrpgs yes that you hadn't played before you always wanted to get into them but it just 
You you were looking for the one to kind of be the entry point. The unofficial subtitle of that season was The Quest Continues, which yes. really in retrospect should have just taken the hint and played Dragon Quest. Yeah, for real. <laughs> but Three Houses was also that for you. Yes. And I'm pretty sure Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was your attempted first try at this. It was, yeah. Um, and... All I knew of the game was that discussion. That's if you if you go back in our in our show, you yeah. know, our show's backlog and listen to that episode. It's one of the more critical discussions. Like mm. we only bring. Games I forgot to, I even brought it to the show. Yeah. I, th- I thought I just didn't even. Bring no, no, no. It. You, we definitely talked about it. Interesting. So, like, we only bring a game to the show when we like it. Or if we think there's going to be an interesting conversation. Oh, Steven, you're going to make me fucking download this game again. I am. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, okay. like, I don't have a seatbelt on my chair. I haven't gone back and listened to that discussion, but I do remember it. Because at the time, I also had just written off Xenoblade entirely. Yes. Like, my roommate at the time, my friend Bobby, for listening. Hello. I miss hey, you. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Bobby. He was a big fan of Xenoblade Chronicles X, which I always watched with admiration. Unreal that they have not ported that this way. Right? Yes. So, for the thing, the, uh, the one, okay. There's so many thoughts. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open. I can't believe this is even happening. I'm going to open with, I'm going to structure it this way. Great. I love it. Yeah. Open with our initial impression of Xenoblade and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 specifically. Okay. Talk about our recent revival of Xeno overall. Yeah. And how I'm liking Xenoblade Chronicles 2 now. Okay. Um, so a Bobby, mini episode within an episode. Yes. So Bobby uh, was a big fan of Xenoblade Chronicles X. For those who don't know, to begin explaining the Xeno <laughs> series now would be another episode. Yes. But just to kind of limit it to Xenoblade, Xenoblade Chronicles is sort of a very loose trilogy. It's not unlike Dragon Quest, where each game is a similar setting with similar themes, but they're all kind of isolated stories. Yeah. That has changed a bit with the recent piece of DLC for Xenoblade Chronicles 3, mm-hmm. which is called Future Redeemed. And that is a, first of all, heard nothing but praise. Yeah. And that incorporates the story and characters of all three Xenoblade games, which was partially what inspired me to go back. Interesting. Because I was like, yeah. I just, I like Xenoblade Chronicles 3 enough. And I also, I have a lot of friends who I trust, who love Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Yeah. And, ha- I and are get critical of the same things that we are. Yes. And I and so we'll put a pin in that. So I've watched Bobby play Xenoblade Chronicles X, which is not, it's the most unrelated to the trilogy and yeah. is specifically leaning hardest into the single player MMO of it all. It's kind of like, what if we were all about mechs even more than we usually are in the Xeno franchise? Yeah. And like more about the open world side of it, maybe a little bit less on the narrative. Mm -hmm. So he was a big fan of that. So I actually got him Xenoblade Chronicles 2 because it's also worth noting Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is one of the first big RPGs on the Switch. Mm -hmm. Like in 2017, if you wanted like a big open world RPG, it was basically like this or Breath of the Wild or Skyrim for a while. Yeah. Um, And he played it and I remember watching him play and I was just like, I think I said this on that episode. I was like, just getting a little bit of like, just watching you play this, this is what I have to convince anyone who doesn't like RPGs that they're not this. <laughs> like when I praise Three Houses or Persona or Final Fantasy, everything in my soul, all the energy I have is devoted to saying it's not like this. If you've already written this game off, it's not like Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Yeah. I cannot think, so I've played more of this game and I do like it enough to bring it up. Yes. But thinking back to this being your attempted entry point, I cannot think of a worse one. Because you're getting like Nickelodeon slimed with the worst tropes possible. Yes. Like 
we're bearing the lead. This game is kind of notable even within the Xenoblade trilogy for having like just being like uncomfortably horny in a lot of the design of the characters. Yeah. Just a lot of questionable stuff overall. It's why I haven't played it for many years. It's worthy of criticizing that. Even though the yeah. game has a lot to offer, like it is distracting and embarrassing to put up with that stuff. Yeah. But it's at the same time, it's like you and I have brought games to the show that are also full of that stuff. And not to be complacent, I think it's I think it's especially important for us to point that stuff out. Totally. But yeah. like we both loved Thirteen Sentinels. It's and true. I can't think of a more caveat filled game that like <laughs> I wouldn't blame anyone for not even wanting to touch. Yes. You know? Same with Persona. Persona has I think that that's like maybe the best RPG series ever, in my opinion. And it's also full of stuff I would criticize very heavily and not blame anyone for, again, not wanting to engage with at all. Totally. Um, yeah. Agreed. So it's not that like we should get used to this. I think you should always demand better. But in, in regarding areas like just inclusivity and, and designing characters in a certain way. Um, and for the record, too, like I don't think this is a much bigger conversation, which is why I'm being kind of broad with it. I'm not the like arbiter of what is okay in terms of sexual character design. For me though, it's just sort of like, is does the visual communicate the character's essence? Right. You know, and if it doesn't, then why are they designed this way? Mm -hmm. And I really think too, it, it's really just, I say this all the time. It's about intention and execution. And the thing that makes Xenoblade Chronicles too weird is that a lot of the most provocatively designed characters are otherwise not like that. It looks like they're cosplaying as someone else within their own game yeah no you know? absolutely yeah so i think when we went into xenoblade chronicles 3 you and i were sort of like this is maybe our last attempt at getting into the series yeah and we loved it yes and I've, I've, I've told this story on the show before but i specifically remember walking back i think we were prepping for maybe the ds episode if i'm not mistaken i was walking back from a retro store that i was just visiting for the first time in brooklyn i like traveled like an hour and a half into Brooklyn to find this retro storage so I could see what DS stuff they had on the shelf. And I bought a bunch of things. I was walking back. And while I was in that store, I saw they had a whole section of like Xenoblade stuff. And I, I just was thinking a lot about Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which had not come out yet. And I remember calling you on my walk back to the train station, which is like a 45 minute walk because I was deep in Brooklyn trying to find DS games. And I called you and I said, is this going to be the one for us? Yeah. Like, are they finally going to take all the critiques from two and everything that people loved about one and merge them together into like the one that will work for us. And the answer ended up being yes. But I mean, we ended that conversation being unsure. Yeah, exactly. But three, three, like I, I would say is one of the best RPGs on switch, probably one of the best RPGs in recent years. It whips. It's so good. And it's a lot of the same team. So that yeah. that I was always lingered in the back of my head is like <laughs> you listen to an album you like from a band you suddenly become a fan of yes. even if they have a weird phase you're not into like part of me wants to see yeah the other kicker here is that I unprompted got really into Xeno Saga recently yeah right which is like the most cursed and obscure Xeno franchise there is yeah and I'm like if I'm giving Xeno Saga a chance I gotta play what is probably one of the more popular entries as well yeah if i've rolled around in the mud i might as well <laughs> roll around in the dirt because at least it's dry this time i i will pitch you xenoblade chronicles 2 with just this it is the closest thing we have to skies of arcadia 2 or skies of arcadia remastered um god damn it the thing about this game that i really love and again there's a lot to criticize and and i probably will even more so I just think there's an optimism to this game that in the thick of seasonal depression and in an uncertain time in general is really nice. 
And what's great about the optimism, so Rex, the main character, is this salvager. I love the opening sequence where like it's him deep underwater putting these like contraptions on sunken treasure in the cloud sea yeah. and having the treasure float to the surface. So cool. And he's riding on the back of like a kaiju turtle named Gramps. And I'm like, I why did I never play this? This is everything I want, like in one scene. Yep. And pretty much like the entire beginning is just like I was totally swept up in the whimsy of it. So it's worth noting that like Xenoblade Chronicles 3, Xenosaga especially, and Xenogears, the first game of, of the Xeno franchise overall, are all pretty heavy. Yeah. Like Xenoblade has become a first party Nintendo series. So it's never going to cross the lines that Xenosaga and Xenogears do. Yeah. But Xenoblade 3 opens with a pretty harrowing scene of war and is about like child soldiers and a lot of heavy stuff that's kind of like guised in the over-the-top anime of it all. Right. It's like children conscripted to fight an endless war. Who and, and the war has been going on for so long that everybody forgets why they're fighting, but it's the only thing that they know, and that's how society has just propped itself up. Is like there are two factions and they just fight forever. And I think that makes a really gripping story, but the thing that Xenoblade is trying to do is it's trying to be a really compelling narrative-driven RPG within a big pseudo mmo open world yeah and i found with xenoblade 3 that i wasn't super compelled to engage with the open world stuff at mm. a certain point yeah you know like i i think you're incentivized to like go explore and to go to places you've you know already been to and see how they've changed there's a whole mechanic of like getting a seventh party of six at all times which is wild uh but there's a seventh rotating guest spot and like a lot of the side quests are about going into areas and recruiting that new guest character yeah which is cool but like at a certain point those quests start to feel really repetitive and i just think so much so much of the world is so barren and torn by war that it has a little bit of the fallout effect where yeah, it's like i don't I totally really want agree. to explore this yeah and the game is just every xeno game is a little bit too much in a different way yeah which is i think Something that I love about the series and something that I think also holds them back a little bit. But like Xenoblade Chronicles 3 has one of the best finales I've seen in a game until it's also not over suddenly. <laughs> like you're given the best ending and then yes. it's like, by the way, third act, here we go. And yeah. I was like, oh, it's okay. It's still going. Um, yeah. So all that about the open world. Can I jump in yes, for a second and just and just highlight Xenoblade Chronicles One because I yeah. think you have the, you have the least experience with that. So I do. Xen yeah. Xenoblade Chronicles One is interesting because it is specifically a a game that opens with a society that uh, is over war. War is we're done with it. Um, I, I think famously one of the things that pretty much everybody knows about Xenoblade Chronicles, if if you do know about it, is that the whole game takes place on the backs of two titans who were clashing at one point. One of them is made of machine parts and one of them is like an organic being. And it's this idea of like, it's a very literal uh, manifestation of like technology versus mankind uh, manifested as these two Titans. And on the backs of those beings after their uh, clash ended spawned like humankind and animals. And of course also machines, endless war, humankind against machines etc 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 that's all wrapped up and the game opens with you in like honestly a really beautiful world it is really nice until of course in the first like two hours of the game machines show up again and attack shulk the main character and his buddy are on their way on an adventure to uh do some stuff uh, i don't want to say too much about it but i do think what you would like about this game especially knowing what you seem to be alluding to about what you like about xenoblade chronicles 2 is that i think 
at least compared to the first one. And I think in some ways compared to the second one, it has the best sense of like a standard, almost Dragon Quest-y RPG adventure. Like the the moment in which Shulk is like, it's time to go out on, on a quest, um, I think is the most like kind of all emotionally encompassing kind of vibe and energy that you would want out of an experience like that. And the world is just stunning. I think, yeah. I think the thing about Xenoblade Chronicles two is although it has the kind of skies of Arcadia of it all, there is a little bit of a remove that you have from it because so much of the world is untraversable because of, because of just like the structure of it. Whereas one has these like surprisingly given the fact that it's again, two giant Titans that have, you know, fought and have just frozen in space. Um, these really, really, really beautiful, lush, verdant spaces, um, which uh, accompanied by the music is, you know. Yeah, all, all un- the Xeno unlike... games are composed by Yasunori Mitsuda, who also does Chrono Trigger and yeah. Chrono Cross. He's so like one it, of our favorite composers. It's the exact opposite of our problem with Xenoblade Chronicles 3, where like there, it's, it's, it's just as beautiful as possible. And I think for me, the problem with Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and the reason that I ended up burning out on it was because I was so compelled by the world that I didn't do the main story enough. Uh, and burnt myself out on the game before I'd even finished it. Yeah, uh, I think the thing about so the premise of two just to cover that real quickly. It's hard to contain my thoughts because there's. I also want to get into the history of Xeno Gears. I'm like, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot on our plate already. Um, we'll write a book one day. Yeah. Uh, so Rex is this salvager, and the world of two is similar to one, but there's actually numerous roaming titans who are all dying. So it's yes. sort of like the world is kind of at this like turning point where it's a not so subtle allegory for just environmental collapse yes. where Rex is like, there isn't, you know, eventually war is going to break out over what little land remains. And there's these room, there are these rumors of the place called Elysium where, you know, humanity, it was sort of this garden of Eden myth and yeah. Rex's whole thing, this kind of naive, optimistic kid is like, if I can get there, I can just share that with everyone and there'll be no war. And like, Love you, it. you know, his heart's going to get snapped in two, but just seeing someone earnestly believe that is really nice. Like it's, yeah. it's a real, and the thing is he's surrounded by more pragmatic characters. A standout, I think is Nia, who is one of the first supporting characters introduced, mm-hmm. um, who actually fights a lot like Mio. She's the same kind of rings. Yeah. That's if, if you're a fan of Xeno, I think one of the most fun things to notice is just the recurring imagery throughout all the different titles, even though Blade is like very different in tone and vibe to Xeno Saga. Like the artifact that opens Xeno Saga is the core emeralds on Pyra's armor. Just yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. It's really fun. And seeing like, oh, Mio and Nia have the same weapons. Like, yeah. I, I like details like that. And they're all kind of loosely circling very similar thematic ideas. Absolutely. Also, like yeah. the, the team, who's the lead director of these Tetsuya games? Takahashi. Yeah, yeah. Ta- Takahashi has like been very vocal about his influences and his ideology and is very much imbuing all of these games with that and i feel like the xenoblade trilogy specifically each of them is kind of taking one core tenant of that ideology and just focusing in on it which i really appreciate so as you're saying the second one is like mostly about environmentalism the first one is obviously about like the the dichotomy between mankind and the technology we create and the third one i kind of don't want to get too into but it's a lot about rebellion yes and and also just like the future in general yeah that uh, one's a little bit the most like high-minded i would say because it, yeah. ju- it gets into like very basic ideas about like love yeah which you know it sounds i think silly but is explored as deeply as possible yeah i think that game pulls off the power of friendship in a very earned way totally yeah um but uh 
Nia, the character I mentioned, like she is part of basically this terrorist group, or at least they're labeled terrorists by the clearly evil empire. Right. And uh, you're put on the same mission together, her and Rex. And there's a scene between the two of them, various guys of Arcadia, where they're like at the top of this ship and they're just, and Neo's like, so, you know, why are you doing this? Like, what's your goal? Like, what do you do? Yeah. And he's like, I want to go to Elysium and share all the land with people. And she just laughed. She's like, she's like, you know, I always thought people were kind of inherently selfish by nature, but like, you mean that like you actually <laughs> want to save the world. Like right. I have to, I got to give you credit for the vibes at least, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. um, that scene really won me over. Cause I just think it's like the game recognizing how foolish both in a positive and negative way Rex is. And also like it plants the seed of this relationship between Nia and Rex where Nia is clearly a character who has trouble trusting people. Yeah. And that's, I think another key theme of, of Xenoblade two is trust. Even in the mechanics of like it's very much a persona or Jojo inspired thing where every character has what's called a blade, which is essentially like another character that gives them powers. Yeah. And a lot of the mechanics are about like, you know, getting closer in relationship with your blade and like uh it, it, the game has a very uh Star Ocean or even Rune Factory leveling system where every blade also has like cooking or like uh different skills that will just pop up as you're exploring the map Mm. and for me that makes the open world part of it work so much better Mm. because like i like the fact that i have the next main story chapter to look forward to but if i explore and go salvaging i might level up that big lion's like knowledge of history and he's oh (laughs) i love teaching you history you know oh yeah it's it's stuff like that that i think and i think because you have played xenoblade 3 like this to be clear, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 does not do a good job teaching the mechanics. And it opens with a lot of the more like irredeemable parts of the game that we've kind of mentioned already. Yeah. So like I don't blame anyone for bouncing, but I do think what at, what's at the heart of it is just like a really optimistic and endearing story with a really good cast. Like Pyra is a good character, you know, despite being designed in a creepy way. Like I think she yeah. like her relationship with Rex and the idea that she is this basically walking nuclear weapon that everyone is trying to fight over is a really interesting idea. And that's also a theme that pops up in so many of the other games. Like she shares a lot in common with Cosmos from Xeno's saga. They even are Mm. in that same like sleeping beauty chamber early on. Yeah. The thing that I love about Cosmos, who's also in this game is one of the blades you can get, which is wild. Really? She's like one of the super rare ones that rocks. Um, in, in Xeno's saga, at least initially Cosmos is how they say it. Cosmos is like, they almost treat her like Jaws, where like she's shown so little, but when she shows up, it's always a little tense and a yeah. little scary. And they really introduce the fact that she's this like all powerful being. Like I, I mentioned when I played Xenosaga episode one, that sequence of the ship escape where like the ship is being attacked by these creatures that you can't even kill because they're in a different dimension. And you spend like an hour as Shion is trying to avoid them noticing you and then cosmo shows up and just obliterates all of them Mm. and it's such a cool scene and it shows how powerful she is i wish we got a little bit of that with pyra because i feel like they set her up as this like weapon and she's just sort of like a nice person you You know just like like, you might be like 30 hours away from that yeah exactly like and they would still consider it the opening yeah (laughs) right it's worth noting i'm on chapter three whatever that means yeah so like I basically got to the point where Nia like joins for real 
and and that's the thing i think at least right now the story between rex and nia and like rex kind of having to like break through nia's pessimism and you know guarded heart and and also like her again just trust like them learning to trust each other and find a common purpose and like the fact that the whole goal of the game is just like a myth like it, it's it's very unclear if elysium actually exists yeah it's also unclear why pyra wants to go there everyone who meets pyra is like afraid of her for different reasons you meet a general early on who i think will probably become an ally at some point who's like i need to get pyra just to avoid what happened last time with her where she destroyed three titans mm. and it's like there are like only a handful of titans left like how can we let this power just walk around and be in anyone's control yeah so like the game is weird it's creepy it's too horny for its own good uh i don't want to brush over any of that but i do think there's a reason why this is one of the most celebrated rpgs i, lo- on I love i love that little bit because you could just copy paste that into the life is strange section <laughs> <laughs> and it would equally apply. I love that. But yeah, I, I I'm I almost texted you because I, I I checked this game out just sort of as like okay, let me just confirm that I don't like this one. That this is like the weird <laughs> middle entry that kind of missed the mark. Yeah. And like a few hours in, I was like, oh no, I think I love this. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll I'll be honest. Famously, I think two is the one that people like the most, and and a lot of that also stems from the fact that the DLC Torna, the Golden yeah, people Country, love that is story. for a lot of people like everyone's favorite xenoblade piece of media yeah which i think is fascinating yeah um, and and I, i'll be honest like this is a game that i've also just kind of had in my back pocket is like one day i'm gonna check this out and i'm gonna jump scare steven with it but <laughs> so I'm, gl- I'm glad to have the the turntable situation but uh ma- man you're really making me want to check it out like i think you'll real. have a lot more fun with it i don't know if it will be one you like see through or if it will become your favorite xenoblade game yeah. but Everything we liked about three is also in two. Yeah. It's just not as in clear focus. Mm. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of what my takeaway is. I think like great characters, really great moments. Honestly, you could probably just watch a supercut of every Xenoblade scene around a campfire and like <laughs> kind of get what you want out of it. Yeah. Those scenes are always so heartwarming. And, and I think there's something about, I haven't played Xeno Gears yet, but that game is so visibly inspired by Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yeah. And I think, that kind of sets a standard as different as Xeno Gears and Xeno Saga and Xenoblade are. The fact that that's sort of the main influence of Xeno Gears and of Xeno overall. I think for a lot of people, Evangelion is maybe the first piece of media they engage with that was very comfortable and confident exploring sadness and darker themes. Yeah. It's also worth noting that Xeno Gears was originally the pitch for FF7 and was rejected but what i only learned recently is that there were elements of the pitch that made it into the game oh and i think the the thing about ff7 that i mentioned in our episode about it and that i've mentioned many times i I, i've tried to find out like what is the reason that ff7 was like the game that spoke to me the most at a formative age and i think it is the fact that it was really comfortable with sadness Mm -hmm. Uh, we mentioned that too with majora's mask where it's like when games are kind of are brave enough and vulnerable enough to have these raw moments. I think it really connects with people. And I think every that was my Xeno experience ga- with Kingdom Hearts 2 also. Yeah. I mean that, that was that was really why, you know, as as much as I think it gets lambasted or definitely was at the time, the opening bit of Kingdom Hearts 2 where you play as Roxas and Traverse Town, it's like that 
that really hit me at that age. Yeah, I think it was the it was the first time a video game really was, as you said, comfortable with that kind of that kind of emotional storytelling. And from what I gather from big fans of of all the Xeno games, like they all have that yeah. they, in different varieties, but they all have those moments of just like. Like there are so many scenes in Xenoblade Three where I was just like, oh, after it. just like, <laughs> yeah. just so raw and so vulnerable. And I also think like there's something special about the energy of Xenoblade games in that like Xenogears, despite being a critical and commercial hit, didn't work out. Right. Like that game ends and says it's episode five of a bigger series. Yeah. And that just never happened. Xenosaga was a failure in many ways. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Xenoblade was the hit, and it's so funny, like I've seen quotes from Takahashi being like, the Nintendo strategy of not giving up on a game until it's done is actually the perfect union of his like relentless ambition. Because all these games kind of fall short of their own ambition, except for the Xenoblade games. And I think in many ways, three feels like this is the thing they've been working towards since the 90s mm-hmm. you know and i just love like i don't want to i don't want to condone the weaker elements of the game or the more questionable parts of it but it's that spirit that really draws me to all of these games yeah and i think seeing the optimism of two and knowing that this is optimism coming from a team that has failed over and over <laughs> again to achieve their own goals right there's something really special about that i think yeah i, th- I think that there are so few franchises we have in in the game space specifically just because of the mountains of work that goes into making each one not to say obviously there are a lot of people involved in like making movies you know but Games are in some ways on another level because they take yeah. much longer. They take a lot more resources, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just means that you can have, there are fewer instances of, of teams and studios that can commit to one idea for such an extended period of time. I feel like, you know, I, I think the Xeno team with Monolith, like th- they've definitely done it here with the Xenoblade games, but you know, like maybe Falcom with the Trails games yeah. are like the other example. Exactly. I can't think of another one off the top of my head. I'm sure I'm sure there's another one. Somebody's going to shout it out. But yeah, I, I just I, I feel like it. it's such a rarity to have something like this. And it's so weird to me that Nintendo is the one making it possible. It's bizarre, especially given that like Nintendo bought them before Xenoblade. Yes. You know, like all they were going off of was Xenoblade. Were, were the failures. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. I mean, I'm sure there's more to that story that we're missing a piece of it. Like, yeah. I'm sure there was a pitch for Xenoblade or something. And and also, but, it, to be fair, like Monolith has helped out as a support studio with a lot of other Nintendo stuff. Yes. So like... It's it's not like they're just sitting there toiling away on their Xeno stuff yeah. and like eventually releasing a big RPG. They have helped out with other things, but it is it is nice to know that like somewhere out there at the top of that executive team, there are some people who like actually believe in Monolith enough to let them make a full trilogy like this. Exactly. Yeah. So I I, I would recommend you give it another shot. I think you'd be I surprised I'm that I mean. I don't think it erases the issues that we both have with it, but I think there's a lot to gain from it. And I remember when we first brought it up, there were a lot of people that reached out to me being like, I get it, but like, you got to keep playing. Like, you yeah. got to give it a second chance. Yeah. And I'm glad I did. Even if it was just like, even if I start playing it again and I fucking hate it and I totally <laughs> bounce from it, like what I've already gained from the experience has been really lovely. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that came to the show. I'm I'm glad you I'm I'm glad it ended up with you not leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Locking myself out of my own home. Thank you for not running away from me. <laughs> Leaving you in front of a virtual Yule log. Yeah, that would be pretty grim. With bubbling That's chili. more Xeno Saga than Blade. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to take a break and then we'll talk about uh one I was gonna say game. one more game. It's gonna be a, a little bundle. 
I would love a bundle. Let's move on. Dude. Onward and upward, baby. Bundles? Rex has a line when he starts combat. He goes, let's show him a thing or three. I'm like, that was kind of it for me. I'm like, that's such a good line. Yeah. Show him a thing or three. Or three. Yeah. That's very pick a god and pray, but more jovial. I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably play that game in Japanese, cool. though. Oh, yeah. Maybe a good call. But yeah. I mean, the voice acting is good, but yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah. The, oh, man, I love the accents in the Xenoblade games. They're though. really good. It's hard, it's hard to switch I would, that I would, to Japanese. I would, I, I really like Nia's voice actor. Yeah. Her delivery of the lines is, is it like cuts Rex's shonen vibe perfectly, yeah. but I'm sure the Japanese cast is great too. Did you play Dragon Quest Eleven in English? I did initially and then I switched to Japanese. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm curious what that experience is like. I have not done that. And I the found 2D mode obviously does not have voice the acting. The cockney of Dragon Quest weirdly I found a little bit distracting, whereas mm. I love it in Xenoblade for yeah. some reason. I'm it does, not sure it why. does work in Xenoblade. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Bye-bye. We're back. We're back. I feel like I convinced you to check out one of the two games we wrote off. Yes. Not too bad. Yeah. I think I think Life is Strange is maybe still in the cards for me, depending sure. on how you feel about it if you play more. Yeah, I, I definitely will report back, at least to you. Yes. Uh once I get further into it. Because again, yeah. I think there's a few things that like have me on my toes. Right. It's funny that I did not expect Xenoblade 2 to be the one that was more of a short thing, <laughs> but you never know. I don't know. As soon as you said it, I was like, damn, I do. Fuck. I do need to play that. Yeah. yeah. It's a good time. Let me tell you uh, about another second chance. Oh, hell yeah. This is this is a this is a weirder one for me, I think. And and probably for you. This is not one where I'm trying to convince you. Let me be clear. Let me say that at the beginning. You're not you're not about to go drop hundreds of dollars. <laughs> uh, have you played Magic the Gathering? Have you played Magic the Gathering? Give it another shot. I, yeah. th- I think you're really going to like it this time. <laughs> um. I posted a threat on threads okay. like a week ago. I said, uh, at least at the time of this recording, I said, uh, in 2024, I'm going to become a VR guy. Mm. Prepare yourself however you see fit. Yeah. I picked up a VR headset this week. Nice. I went to a Best Buy and I picked up the MetaQuest 3, which is the newest version of their standalone headset. And by that, I mean, you don't have to plug it into like a computer. It just exists on its own doesn't have to get plugged into a PlayStation. It just is its own thing, its own onboard storage, its own processor. It's running all the VR stuff itself. I think that's actually a big step for VR because I feel like yes. that's been the thing that has kind of kept it as a novelty. Yes. Is the dependence on already having a modern console or like a, you know, efficient computer. Yes. And I think I think that's notable because in at least 2023, sales numbers do seem to indicate that the MetaQuest 2 and 3 sold about as much as the the xbox series s or x wow like somewhere in that vicinity so like it's it's happening like people are connecting to that idea exactly yeah because i my my entry to vr came specifically with the the playstation vr the original version of the playstation vr for the ps4 which is a cumbersome nightmare of wires it It is although having we both have very big heads yes i uh in my eighth grade field trip to washington dc we all had to wear green caps and, and my hat didn't fit and the tag said one size fits most. I'll never forget it. The PSVR was actually great for a big headed gentleman. Yes. Because uh, it was it was a hat. You know, it was like this big helmet that yes. you could put on. Yeah, it was it wasn't it wasn't strapped to your face. Yes. It wasn't using like literally just uh like a nylon that you're stretching to get it to like press into your face it as you said you just put it on top of your head and it just kind of rests over your eyes instead of being 
pressed into them. Exactly. Uh, which was great for long play sessions. I actually really liked it a lot. But again, the setup was a nightmare. Yeah. And the amount of stuff that I really played on PSVR was pretty minimal. Like I spent, as I've mentioned on the show, I spent a lot of time in the Hulu app watching tv in and a, skyrim in a big vr space and skyrim yes which i i would generally play in the winter windows open pine scented candles lit in my apartment and because of my i would say ocular deficiencies needing to wear glasses and having a severe lazy eye uh in terms of like the power of one eye versus the other same with me actually yeah it's wild i don't get motion sick at all in VR. Mm. So I was able to play that game. All of the like accessibility stuff turned off. Like the thing, there's this thing called tunnel. If you, if you don't know anything about VR, there's this thing called tunneling, which means like as you're looking around or whipping your head around or moving, they will kind of add like a really heavy vignette. So you can only look in one direction. It's almost like kind of having horse blinders on in a way that prevents you from seeing the rest of the world on the outside. Uh, so it just kind of keeps you focused in one place, which apparently reduces motion sickness. I've never needed any of those kinds of settings. I can turn all that stuff off. Um, there's also the difference between like full motion or uh, teleporting. So like if you're playing a game like Skyrim, for example, you can either like just play with a normal ass controller and just move around, you know, like move with the left stick and look around with the right stick or look around with your head. Um, you can do that or there's teleport motion, which means like you look at a place, you press a button and you teleport there. So you're not actually moving because for a lot of other people moving around a VR space like that will also make the motion sick because their physical body is not moving and, and their brain can tell the difference uh, or can't tell the difference. In which case, you barf. Oh. Oh. <laughs> that having been said, you know, there, there were a couple of games that really did work for me on PSVR. Like Skyrim was one of them. Um, the other one was Super Hypercube that I really loved. It was by uh, Polytron who made Fez. It was like Phil Fish and, and some other people uh, got together and made that game, which was like essentially trying to be the Tetris of VR, which then ended up just becoming, in, in my eyes, at least Tetris Effect Connected is like actually the Tetris of VR. But Super Hypercube was a really interesting idea that I loved and played a lot. But outside of like those couple things, I really didn't engage with PSVR a whole lot. And it ended up just being a thing that gathered dust and was annoying to set up and I didn't really use. Um, and I've been really hesitant to check out VR ever since. The MetaQuest 2 like never really spoke to me, even though I heard about a couple things that sounded interesting on that. PSVR 2 is out now, and re- like I don't know a single person who purchased that personally. Like I've ne- I've never talked to somebody who got it and likes it. I've never heard of a game that was released on that that I'd be interested in. It is notably not backwards compatible with the stuff that released on the Oof. first one. So like even if I wanted to play Skyrim again, like I can't do that. So I don't know. It's just deeply confusing what's going on in PSVR 2. But the MetaQuest 3 came out semi-recently and People seem to really love it. And on top of that, there's a game that came out in the past couple weeks that people have been really stoked about. And the thing that really pushed me over the edge is that they are now including it as a pack-in game with the MetaQuest 3, which I think is very smart for them to do. It's called Asgard's Wrath 2. Mm. Yeah, I've seen footage of this. Yeah. I, so like, I, I've had little to no interest in VR for a while, mostly just because of having a big head and always just being uncomfortable wearing it. Yeah. But I've seen footage of Asgard's Wrath, and it looks awesome. Yes. It's like the first time I've seen an ad for a VR game where I'm like, oh, yeah. maybe my head can... Maybe someone can make a size for me. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, okay, let, let's talk about the hardware yeah, first, yeah, actually, yeah. before we even get into Asgard's Wrath. I think that's a good point to start on, is like, the, the MetaQuest 3, I think, I mean, it is 
a descendant of the we're strapping it to your face. You know, it is not sitting on your head. It is strapped to your eyes. It can be uncomfortable in long play sessions. I've also noticed and I, I don't know the technical side of VR, to be clear, as much as I am like a person who is obsessed with like specs and spec sheets. I am so out of the loop with VR stuff that I just kind of take it at face value from other people's recommendations, like that this thing is good. So shout out to people like Jeff Kanata, our friend Jeff Kanata over at DLC, uh, who talks a lot about VR stuff, who like I think is one of the people who is informing me personally about what is good and what is not. Jacob Geller on YouTube similarly has every once in a while shouted out some stuff on VR that has made me excited about it. But I still don't know, like, I don't know the DPI of the the <laughs> two screens in front of my eyes, for example. I don't know why it's exciting that the MetaQuest 3 has pancake lenses when the other ones didn't. I don't know what that means. But I will say I do get a little bit motion sick using the MetaQuest oh, 3. No. A little bit. And it's only in really extended play sessions. I've had, th- at the time of this recording, when you and I are talking, I have had the MetaQuest 3 for three days. I have played for two hours each day. And by the end of those two hours, I like do need to sit down for a little bit. And it's usually like, I would say about an hour and 45 minutes in and I'm like, uh, okay, I should stop soon. And then I stop and then I'm fine. It is in stark contrast to, for example, the PSVR where I would sit and play Skyrim for like five to six hours straight and wow. not even realize that I had done that. That rules. Uh, as you know, as one does with Skyrim, as one doubly does when they are in <laughs> Skyrim. I, I distinctly remember when Skyrim came out and it resulted in my first and only F in college. <laughs> I was like, damn it. I was living with a band at the time. Yeah. And they were so mad at me for the amount of Skyrim that I played. <laughs> I just remember they were like, you should be practicing bass. And I'm like, do you not know that this is the sequel to Oblivion. <laughs> Do you understand that the Argonians foresaw the Oblivion crisis because of the hist syrup they drank? By Azura, let me play this game. You used to be about the music. <laughs> it still is. It Have still you heard is. It's just parts? you need to go into the taverns. Yeah. yeah. We get it. <laughs> need something? Uh, the MetaQuest 3, I, I will say, I put it on was immediately shocked because I did not know that it has like full pass through video. So when you put it on, you can see the world outside you. Oh, it's not dissimilar to what Apple says they have going on in the vision pro, uh, whenever that comes out at some point. So you can like see the world around you. It also asks you like, okay, do you, do you want your play space to be exactly where you're standing? Or do you want us to like map the room? And if you map the room, it like literally puts like geometric shapes all over the ground and then like tells you okay based on your room size and where all your furniture is this is where we think you should play which is i think great you can also do things like just extend your macbook screens and like take your windows and like put them all over the place which is amazing like it looks stunning to just like take your uh your mac computer and i think it works even better on windows in a lot of ways um, and just like have extra screens in vr uh i'm sorry just you saying that it's so wild to me that still in my opinion, the like ideal UI of the future is Minority Report. Yeah, like I just I remember. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, like, it's still that. It is still that. Yeah, it, it very much is. And what's cool about the MetaQuest Three that I've noticed, uh, and and again, this is me doing no research really outside of being interested in Asgard's Wrath and another game that I'm going to talk about later. But you have these controllers, which are great, and like honestly, are very comfortable. I like them a lot. 
Um, they do this amazing thing with the controllers. This is just like the smallest little note, but I'm obsessed with it. They do this thing with the controllers I didn't even realize they were doing, where when you're looking at the controller through the VR headset, you can see the battery meter on the side. That is not a real battery meter. That's like one that they're like virtually adding to the controllers because they can so perfectly map them in space. I didn't realize that there weren't actual green lights telling me the battery meter on the controller until I took the headset off. Oh, wow. Which was wild. Anyway. Uh, you can also not use controllers. You can use your hands and it tracks your hands as well. So you can straight up do the minority report stuff if you want to. <laughs> um, anyway, all of that I thought was very interesting. But for me, I've just been hearing about all of these games that are on the Quest store for the longest time. And I was like, I should really check some of this stuff out. And Asgard's Wrath was the obvious first one to, to pick up because it's the latest game released in 2023 that i have seen people say is 2023's game of the year contender which i thought was very interesting the reviews are very high it is like one of the top five best reviewed games of 2023 wow um at least again we're recording this in the end of december of 2023 so like there are a lot of reviews and they're all extremely positive aj posted it in our group chat and was like people are calling this the super mario 64 of vr i'm not on that level with it but like it's good it is doing a lot of the things that i think a lot of people in vr have always wanted i think the thing with skyrim in vr which is weirdly the thing i would compare this to the most the thing about skyrim in vr was you were just playing skyrim like there were modes that you could play as if you were using like the playstation move controllers which i absolutely hated and did yeah. not enjoy using or charging or holding bad wiimotes bad wiimotes yeah you could like have your sword and shield, you know, and do bad Skyrim combat, you know, like that. Um, but it, it felt it felt closer to playing Twilight Princess with the Wii than it sure. did like actually one to one VR for me at least. Asgard's Wrath is fully like whatever you are doing in real life is what your character is doing in the game. The game essentially involves you inhabiting the body of uh, multiple people throughout history and different mythologies. Um, so you start as this guy named Abraxas in ancient Egypt, who is like Indiana Jonesing his way into a temple of some god to try and pull out some like ancient artifact for a reason, uh, which I, honestly I don't fully know. The story of this game is like very loose, and I'm not really paying that much attention to it because that's not really why I'm there. If I'm being honest, I'm sure it's good. People do seem to like it, and there is actually a story recap at the beginning of the game where it's like, do you want to know what happened in Asgard's Wrath One? And when you say yes. They make you climb onto a giant raven and fly through a cutscene, <laughs> which like, let me tell you, if there's one way to get me to revisit the story of another game, it's climbing onto a big ass raven and flying That's through a cutscene. Like it, yeah. it fucks. It's so good. That having been said, uh, when you get out on the other side of that, they're like, okay, pick up your sword. And there's a sword like embedded in some ice and you need to like walk up to the sword, put your hand down, grab it and pull it out of the ice and when you swing your sword, like wherever you swing it is where your character is actually swinging it. If there's a person who's coming at you and trying to hit you with a sword, you can like parry it, deflect it. But you need to be precise. Like it's like for real one to one. Yeah. I think this is the thing that a lot of people have wanted out of a VR game for a long time. Because even though I, I wouldn't consider this like fully Skyrim, it's not like an open world. If anything, it's more Zelda than it is Skyrim. Mm -hmm. Like you're crawling through temples, you're solving puzzles, you're doing like kind of Twilight Princessy, Skyward Swordy combat. But I think just the level of immersion that they allow for, and again, this is coming from somebody who doesn't have a lot of history with VR, so I've actually been having an interesting time going back to the other games that people said were like the best showcases of VR to try and gauge where we were at versus Asgard's Wrath and why Asgard's Wrath 2 is like so exciting to so many people. I think a lot of these other games that I've been playing don't really 
go all in in the same way like the finals is the first game i think that really says like okay this idea of a virtual game show that's a first person shooter like we're just really going to go all in with that yeah asgard's wrath 2 is the first game that's like when you kill an enemy and they drop something you need to like goofily bend over and like pick it up and put it in your pocket you know that's amazing when you like pull your shield out you need to like really like parry and block and do all that kind of stuff um, when you are climbing a ladder, you need to like really physically, I'm, I'm probably moving the mic too far away from my face doing this, <laughs> but you need to like physically climb a ladder or climb a rope. Um, they're being really particular about making sure that every interaction in the game feels really great, but is also what you would do if you were really in that space. Instead of just having all of these kind of like shortcuts to allow people to just kind of you know, jump to spaces that are like, no, 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 you physically do need to do this actually yourself. And I think it, it, it just it reminds me a lot of like this is maybe a silly comparison, but it reminds me a lot of what you and I talk about a lot with like children's media where like if you if you assume that children are like tiny brained and can't understand the thing that you're talking about, like you're you end up talking down to them and they don't respond to that. But if you talk to them like um, just like people, you know, if you, yeah. if you just allow them to uh, acknowledge that they feel the same things that other people feel, then you will connect with them on a greater level. That feels to me like what VR was doing until this point. I think that's why people are so excited about this is like for the longest time, there were people trying to figure out different shortcuts to allow you to do things in virtual spaces instead of actually just going all in and being like, no, if you want to climb a ladder, you really got to fucking climb a ladder, my guy. It's why my I, I physically am so tired right now because the amount of this and some other games I've been playing that are like really actually forcing you to like move through a world and 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 interact with it the way that you would like if there's a lizard man coming at you you gotta dodge out of the way of that sword or parry it if you can I think is really exciting and I think that's I think that's why people are connecting with Asgard's Wrath too and like kind of claiming that it's such a big deal and I think that's why Meta has made probably the smart move of saying like we're gonna pack this in with the Meta Quest three to like really prove to people what's going on because it's also like a thirty plus hour narrative driven rpg again with multiple characters you can play as all who have like different different kind of attack styles and different things going on like abraxas is very much a sword and board kind of dude but from what i understand some of the other characters have very 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 different play styles with like whips and bows and there's one character apparently who has like a bow that's made of like an octopus or something. I don't really understand. I don't I know. I did what's see going on. a harp that turned into a bow. I think that's what in I'm one thinking of. One of the ads, which was that was actually what sold me on. I was that rules. Yeah, yeah. I I just think that this game like I just think this game really goes all in, and I think I think that's kind of why people are connecting with it. I I I find it a little bit overwhelming. Mm. I think it's maybe because I'm early in my quote unquote VR journey, <laughs> uh, but I, I I find it to be a little bit much. Like it is. All of the things about a video game ass video game while also needing to consider my own like personal body and being in personal space (laughs) alongside all of that, which is like a little bit too much for my brain to handle right now. And maybe in time, I'll like kind of wrap my head around it. Whereas in the past, I have connected more with things like Super Hypercube or Tetris Effect or like Super Hot VR, which are definitely like more abstracted, more very like specific kind of arcadey VR games. But this is, from what I can understand, like the first really full AAA made for VR, VR experience. And I think that's exciting. You know, I, I don't consider myself to be a VR guy yet, and I don't know if I will become one. I think I, I got one kind of more as like 
a novelty and because I think there's interesting stuff happening in that space and it's something that you and I have never really covered before. Yeah. And I would like to have the ability to do that if something like Asgard's Wrath comes out where we can be like, hey, we could speak to that. Um, I would say that the other games that I'm about to bring up are ones that I connected with a lot more than Asgard's Wrath 2, but I will probably play a lot more of this and I, I can report back if I like it as much as other people seem to. I think it's interesting just to think of the idea that you almost have to relearn game design for VR. Yeah. Which, you know, obvi- like, obviously it's a totally different way of engaging with games, but I just think you mentioned the shortcuts and like yeah. games needing to ask, like, no, you actually had to physically do this. Yeah. And I just wonder if you have to really relearn a lot of that design because like in games, you probably do want to make most things a shortcut unless you're going for like a very specific experience, yeah. like a death stranding or something that is asking you to like hyper focus on certain mechanics. Yeah. Yeah, but the, yeah, but the dream of VR, right, is like being in that space, and I think I think that is definitely something that I think a lot of these studios are gonna have to wrap their heads around, you know, because yeah. you know, in some cases with like a Bethesda game like Skyrim, it is as easy as you just put somebody into that game, and that enhances it in a pretty major way. Like for me, I've talked about this on the show before, but my experience with Skyrim on PSVR was like the first dungeon that you go into, the first one that everybody goes into, you don't realize how big it is until you're actually standing in it as like a guy yeah and that that was a magical experience for me the first time you go and like talk to parthenax the dragon (laughs) is like he's an intimidating dude he is he's scary he's big you know like that kind of stuff i think does actually enhance the experience in a pretty significant way and i think the games that understand that are really exciting the other one that i'll bring up that i I feel like is kind of in line with what asgard's wrath 2 is doing for me and and i would say mainly like the reason I picked this up in the first place was Resident Evil 4 VR. Mm. Oh yeah. It's the original Resident Evil 4. It's not the remake. I don't know if the remake is coming to MetaQuest. I imagine not cuz that's pretty heavy of a, of a lift uh video game wise. I know there is a VR version but it's not probably coming to MetaQuest. Uh but the original sure is there. And man, that game is very very good in VR. And they've done some very silly stuff I think to enhance the experience. So like let me just say right off the bat, like it feels the closest to the Wii version, which is to say, which yeah. is what I've been chasing for a long time. Like I loved the Wii version of Resident Evil Four. I think although you know the the um, kind of like pseudo tank controls, like prototypical version of what we ended up with with the PlayStation Studios, like third person over the shoulder narrative driven thing um, that Resident Evil Four had on the GameCube, like that worked pretty well. There was something about the Wii and aiming at the screen that like really, I think, highlighted how fun that game can be and how arcadey that game can be for me personally and was the version that I connected with the most. Resident Evil 4 VR is like really capturing that in a major way. I think like there's no better sequence to really understand that than the village sequence at the beginning where, you know, you're being chased by the chainsaw guy, you know, jumping out of windows, like all that kind of stuff, climbing the ladders whatever doing all of that stuff in vr is exhilarating and so scary and so stressful and i was sweating so much (laughs) in real life because i was terrified of dying in that sequence because like i was like man i have all this like resident evil 4 cred it was my game of the year i feel like if i die during the sequence am i a fake gamer (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it's very silly but um the the stuff that really like i think elevates it to like just a completely different level that you in particular would really love is where they lean into the VR stuff. For example, whenever you need to save in a save room, famously there's a typewriter and that's that's how the characters save. Yeah. You literally need to like index finger out, type your name on the typewriter and use the typewriter to save your game. I love that. Which is amazing. 
anytime uh, you get a call, you have to like actually like pull the pull the receiver out of your pocket, press a button on it. It flips open into two screens where you can see Leon talking. Like it's so funny. Um, whenever you like want to, there there are two control schemes in this game. One of them is like a weapon wheel, which is you know not it's not considered the immersive one. Uh, but there's an immersive mode where Leon has his pistol on his on the left side of his uh his like holster on his belt he's got his knife on uh on his chest he's got his shotgun on his back and he has ammo also in his pocket so if you want to pull out any of these weapons you need to like physically reach to where those things are and like pull them off of yourself to use them it is so fun yeah but it makes the game so much scarier oh yeah because not only are they doing that but like if you are using your pistol and you run out of ammo you need to reach down with your other hand pull a clip out of your pocket put it in the gun and then reload the gun if you want to shoot which makes sequences like the village sequence and this is i think the the spice of vr for me and this is what makes it so exciting it makes it obviously more immersive but it is a totally new way for me to experience a thing that I yeah. have grown to love. Like, I, I think adding that extra layer of not only immersion, but just like excitement to the idea of doing something I've done like 60 plus times at this point in my life is really what's so exciting about Resident Evil 4 and VR for it me. It really connects, I mean, very different reasons, but it really connects to the uh, 2D mode in Dragon Quest, where it's like yeah, you're absolutely. getting a different variation on a game you know and love. And I wonder if that's where VR kind of thrives, where like you have the innovative new titles like Asgard's Wrath 2, but then you have like, here's an experience you already know. Here's yeah. like Doom or Doom equivalent in vr kind of thing yeah you know? i don't yeah i i would love to see more of that stuff and maybe that's happening in the pc space you know yeah, maybe if you're right. not using the meta quest which is definitely like it's limited to the store that is on the meta quest um you can plug it oh, it's worth noting if you have like a beefy pc with like a graphics card and stuff in there you can plug it in to a pc and use it like as a regular vr headset for other stuff if you want to play stuff like for example half-life alex which i'm also told is like one of the best vr games yeah. out there there are ways to go about doing that if you have the hardware that can support it. But for me, I just I kind of wish that we just got more Resident Evil 4 VR level stuff. Like put Skyrim on there, put Oblivion on there. Like let me experience all that stuff. <laughs> doing speechcraft in VR would be a nightmare, but I would love it. Even just like like replicating the zoom in myself by walking up to a guy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, am I talking to a person? I'm gonna take one extra step and be right you up in the right up in close. their business. Yeah, you know? exactly. like, <laughs> Rumors. Yeah, yeah, I would love that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just I just really want to experience that. So Resident Evil 4 VR, it's awesome. Like pulling the knife off of off of my off of my holster and like smashing a box open and then like reaching out and grabbing the green herb and like shoving it in my pocket is very funny. Even like the first aid spray, when you take it, you need to like pull it off of out of your inventory, aim it at yourself and press the button to <laughs> spray your own face with the first aid spray. Also, just seeing that stuff like that's that's I think one of the things that, that is really sticking with me is just like seeing that stuff up close is really interesting. Yeah. Like taking the first aid spray and holding it directly in front of my eye and like reading the label on it is really cool. It's like yeah. weirdly great. And it's the it's the most excited I've been about the original Resident Evil 4 in a really long time. Yeah. It's just being able to like look at stuff very closely. Even things like set pieces and ideas and 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 spaces that I know like the back of my hand at this point. You know, like the dog in the very beginning who's stuck in the bear trap, like reaching down with both hands and like physically needing to open that myself was and like petting the dog after right before he runs off 
really fun like really cool stuff oh yeah i mean we talk even about just like you know different ways to experience a game and and even just the jump from are you playing this on a tv or are you playing it handheld yes and the intimacy that can co- and the routine that can come with handheld right. and how that can in some ways immerse you more and vr is another level of that absolutely yeah the other game i just want to shout out real quick and one one that i've only played a little bit of well first of all i played tetris effect connected oh nice it rocks in vr it's yeah. obviously great that team is very good with VR. Like humanity, I've also heard yeah. is great. Shout out VR. to Enhance. Um, yeah. They're they're wonderful. They're very nice to us. I, yeah. Hey, if uh, if you put humanity out on that thing, let me know. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Um, also, Res. I wonder if Res is on there. Oh, I, haven't, I haven't even checked. I, I it must be on. I, I I'm pretty sure it's on PSVR at it least is. because yeah. that's the whole reason Res HD exists. Yes. Anyway, a, another game kind of in that vein that I've been playing. Uh, and th- this one is a direct shout out to Jacob Geller, who has mentioned it in, in multiple videos in the past. Uh, but it, it's called pistol whip and it feels so much to me. Like I think what hi-fi rush is for you. Hmm. So pistol whip, if you haven't heard of it is a, uh, rhythm first person shooter where you are like running down a corridor and there is music blasting in your ears and it's all like the music that would play in the rave sequences of every john wick movie (laughs) and dudes are just spilling out of doorways and like just kind of jumping out in front of you and you need to shoot them in beat with the song as it's playing also you can pistol whip them obviously if they jump directly in front of you you can whack them in the head but if they shoot at you, you need to physically dodge out of the way of those bullets. There are constantly like obstacles coming at you that you need to dodge left and right out of uh, duck under things like that, which is, again, why my thighs are so tired today. because <laughs> I'm playing a lot of pistol whip. It just absolutely rocks. And it's it's akin to something like a super hypercube or a super hot where it's like definitely a more abstracted art style. It looks VR as hell. I feel like there is kind of a VR aesthetic that we all yeah. have in our heads and like Pistol Whip is definitely doing that. It just is so fun. I don't even have anything to say really that's like interesting about it outside of it just like fucks. It's so fun and I just have a great time playing I'll it. I'll say this. I think you've definitely you've definitely given me much more of a strong interest in VR than I had before this recording. Not just saying that for the second chances episode. Yeah. But like, I like that we're, the, the finals is the, <laughs> is the top piece yeah. of bread here and VR yeah, is the exactly. bottom for the sandwich. I, I think I'm just forever thinking about the Dreamcast now ever since we did that episode. But what I'm, yeah. what I kind of want from VR and what you're sharing with me is like, I want an arcade revival. Like I feel like the, the types of games that seem at least currently to work best in VR are all arcade adjacent. And like, yeah, even the classic arcade games, like all had that degree of physical involvement, whether it was mm-hmm. DDR or like the pedal and time crisis house of the dead Two, VR. Like I would be there in a second. Yeah, where is, you that? know, like, Oh my God, um, Sega get on it. Yeah. I just, I feel like, especially, I mean, Sega, especially with their revival of all the dreamcast games. Yeah. I feel like they would all do Shenmue in VR. That would actually be incredible. Yo, that almost feel like it was. It would make more sense in VR. <laughs> uh, I just. Yeah. I want that arcade revival. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. That's the thing. So looking at the at the scope of like what's on. Look, let me let me just say this. Maybe a little bit late in the segment to be saying this, but I'm going to say this anyway. I am not you, dear listener. I'm not trying to convince you to buy MetaQuest Three. It, it it's Meta. It's Facebook. Like yeah. I just that. There's that whole piece of it. 
I think even outside of that, like there are probably other better ways to get into VR. I don't really know. I didn't do a lot of research, if I'm being totally honest. Very unlike me. But even looking at the state of like what is available on the App Store uh, or the Meta Quest or whatever it's called, a lot of the games seem to me, at least, like kind of the my worst case scenario in a lot of ways. Like they are like tech demo ass yeah. kind of games that seem like really low lift, but. In talking to people like in the Discord and talking to like just texting people I know who are into VR, I've been getting a lot of responses of like, okay, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of like stuff that you should ignore in here and should not spend money on, but there are a couple diamonds in here that you should really check out. Pistol Whip was one of them. There, there are a couple here and there. There's one uh, that I really want to check out called Moss. There's, there's actually two of them, Moss and Moss Book Two, where you're like uh, leading a little mouse on like a red wall esque journey that's apparently great and is also notable in that like you are kind of an outside observer to the character, which I think is an interesting way of doing that because so many of these games are like, we're going to put you in first person, obviously, because it's VR. But I think there's something to be said about like, what if, what if you are kind of outside of that space? What if actually, I didn't even mention this Asgard's wrath Two does that in a couple sequences where every once in a while you become, so you're technically a godly being inhabiting Abraxas, the character. And every once in a while in certain spaces, you can kind of pull yourself out of Abraxas and like lead him around spaces and you're looking down on them like from above as if you are a god and those are the kind of the like zelda-esque puzzle sequences which is really fun and really strange but i want to i want to play more games like that and actually there's another sequence at the beginning of asgard's wrath 2 when you first see abraxas for the first time where it's it is an over-the-shoulder like third person kind of playstation studios thing and you're watching abraxas like run through like indiana jones through this temple um and i was like damn I want a game like this. Like I could play Resident Evil 4 VR the exact same way I played Resident Evil 4 just in VR. If that makes sense. I know that's a confusing sentence, but you know what I mean? mean In third person. Yeah. And it would still be exciting. Right. Yeah. Even just the ability to look around the space and have a better awareness of what's going on around me instead of needing to physically move a camera around and having that stuff render as I'm turning the camera, like having that all around me and all encompassing, I think would be exciting. So I think there, I think there's a lot of room for VR obviously to grow it's like still very nascent I think as a technology and, yeah. and even though we are you know years after the uh after the introduction of the original Oculus Rift which I think was like kind of the the beginning of this revival in a big way where people were like I think VR might actually be ready now I think we are getting to the point where things like the MetaQuest 3 being untethered not having any you know any buttons or not any buttons not having any wires that are you know plugged into any other devices but just like running all along or all alone by themselves I think is getting it closer to a place where I can recommend it to people if they're interested in VR I I feel more comfortable being like I think it's getting to a place where you will probably have some fun with it you yeah, know Yeah totally I think where I always push up against VR is I feel like there was Definitely a time where it seemed like there was this belief that VR was the end goal for games in general. Yeah. You know, where it's right. like everything is just like gearing up for VR. Right. Yeah. Whereas I think Quote unquote, VR, everything is better in VR, which I don't think is true. Yeah. No, definitely not. And like, I think it, I think it's what I'm more interested in is like, what can VR do uniquely to itself? Yeah. Now that we've kind of proven in a post Wii world that most of the time <laughs> you want a controller with buttons and a TV screen. Yeah. I think there's a lot of room for experimentation outside of that. I mean, and even outside of VR, I just, I think about the episodes we've done about specific consoles. I think of the DS and the 3DS, like having a system specific thing Mm -hmm. that games are designed around. And like, 
I, I am, we've mentioned this before, like I am a little bit sad that we're losing that a little bit. Yeah. As systems kind of become more of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, like obviously the Switch will always be, or whatever Nintendo makes next, will always be a Nintendo thing. But even the Switch in some ways is kind of like conforming to, and in, some, in a good way too, mm-hmm. but also just like you do miss out on those games that were designed around a central idea. And we do get that with VR. Which yeah. Is interesting. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think where I start to bristle a little bit also is like one of the things that is automatically downloaded onto your headset when you get it is like Mark Zuckerberg's version of the metaverse, you know, yeah. like I, I think it's called meta quest worlds or something. It's there. I have not yeah. jumped into it. They do make you create an avatar when you first like download the thing and turn it on. I could not get one that A looked like me or B looked like a person I would ever meet in real life. <laughs> uh, so I'm just kind of ignoring that aspect of it entirely. There's also like the meta workrooms area, which oh, is like boy. where you're actually supposed to like do office work, which I am like, I will never yeah, open the, that. The push to just like, why don't you live in this fake corporate reality for a while yeah. like reject that at all costs i've i've written about this on my blog and you know what actually i'll i'll move this post over to our new website also wow. uh, just so it'll be there it's called the reality but it's it's a it's a piece i wrote specifically about this push for virtual reality to be the end game and how i f- feel personally like although that's like it's not a bad end game to have i just don't think we're ready for it at all and i don't think like society is ready for it because i will be perfectly blunt the act of putting a headset on is embarrassing. It, I do feel like I need to get over something personally to put it on and be like, I'm going to play this for two hours. You that's know? my major thing. Like, I just don't like, and that's almost enough for a lot of people where it's like, yes. I'm just not comfortable putting this on my head. Right. And that, that, that's <laughs> so why I feel like, you know, Apple getting into, into VR with like the, the vision pro and stuff. It's like, I, I think we're too early. I think we've actually, we've leapfrogged what we need to be doing, which is focusing on augmented reality first. Because I think augmented reality is a thing that's going to be a lot easier for people to wrap their heads around because it's immediately functional and useful for people. Like putting on a pair of glasses that look like normal ass glasses and don't look like you're strapping a big fucking thing to your head that costs hundreds of dollars and has a wire tethered to a battery in your back pocket and, and only lasts an hour. That like looks like glasses and for example as you're walking down the street will project the directions to where you're going or like have your notifications or the weather or like whatever like all of that stuff like immediate obvious use cases for people in daily life and i feel like if you have years and this is a thing that every corporation is bad at waiting years (laughs) but if you if you wait for years of people being used to putting something on their head and having it augment their daily life and have it be actually fucking useful eventually you can get to the point where you can convince people to get into virtual reality. Once you've augmented their real reality and made it useful, you can show them how virtual reality can also be useful in different ways. Because I I do believe that there is a future where there is a use case for virtual reality, but right now it's being force-fed to us in the most, like, you never have to leave work way possible. Yeah, it's almost and that freaks me out. There's no veneer of fun even. Right. Because at least Facebook started as like, Hey, at least when we got it, like in high school, right. it started in a nightmarish way where it was like, who's hot at Harvard, you yeah, know, right. but like <laughs> the version that worked was like, Hey, here's a place to chat with all your friends. And right. then it corrupted our aunts and uncles to vote in a certain <laughs> way. Like, you know, like start with the fun thing before you radicalize our extended relatives. Yeah. And I, I do think that is where the meta quest is starting to get the balance right. Even yeah. though it does have the, their metaverse thing downloaded on it immediately and i refuse to open it 
it's also the device where I'm playing Resident Evil 4 VR and Pistol Whip and Asgard's Wrath 2. And I mean, to be clear, they funded Asgard's Wrath 2. Like they paid for that shit. Like they are the reason that game exists. They were like, we want a full ass triple A 30 plus hour RPG in this thing. We need something fun on this. We need something fun on this, which is like, that's the right move. You don't want to look at Excel through a headset? I really don't, Steven. <laughs> I really, really don't. Wouldn't it be cool if while you're driving to and fro your job, you're also on Excel? <laughs> and the highways are just spreadsheets? Let me crunch numbers on the road. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I, I definitely understand your, like, roadmap of, like, AR to VR. I, I, I'm kind of creeped out by all of this in a certain way. You know, like, I, I think there's definitely a use case for it. And for games specifically, I think there's a lot of potential. Yeah. But it's definitely, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. It's, it's, we're, we're not ready yet. No. You know, regardless I, of the form. Yeah. Of it. Let me yeah. be clear. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know you yeah. do. I, yeah. I, I, I don't think we're ready yet. I, 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 I think we need to work really hard on fixing our real reality before we augment yeah, let's it like digitally. Update some bridges before I have to look at Excel. Totally agree. Night. What if we yeah. had a, like a functioning railway system? <laughs> or more buses start small give south jersey a train so when i go to philly (laughs) to see my family i don't have to like hitchhike a bus amtrak four thousand (laughs) dollars to like fly first class to philly yeah yeah just because you decided to book it six months in advance instead of seven yeah exactly so we we have other priorities we get it we get it we're right yeah Anyway, I, it's all, it all sounds very exciting. I definitely want to play Resident Evil 4 in VR. Despite okay. my corporate hesitations, uh, I do want to play Resident Evil. I do have great news, and maybe this is the worst news for playing Resident Evil 4 VR, but the chili is finally ready. <laughs> Which the real chili? The can real you, chili. Can, can you like? I just feel like there's some weird onion onion article with the header image of someone with a VR headset spilling chili on themselves <laughs> as they try to eat it. There is a version of MetaQuest Three marketing. This is real. Just to be clear, I'm I'm not I'm not imagining a version. There is a real like MetaQuest Three thing that people are doing on the internet where they are watching YouTube videos like like posting them i think in like the corner of their vision in the kitchen and using the video passer to like cook while watching youtube videos of the recipe which is like on one hand i get it like that's that's a thing i'm not gonna do it personally but also imagine yourself in the kitchen with a vr headset on with a knife yeah (laughs) that's like the beginning of every bioshock game isn't it (laughs) Like every piece of sci-fi media has warned us to not do that. No like, gods or kings. Yeah. <laughs> Only virtual reality. Don't augment your kitchen. Yeah. You know? Only Mark. <laughs> no gods or kings. Only Mark. I'm still convinced that that whole pitch for the metaverse was just to for him to tell us that he has friends. <laughs> like that one part where he was like, "Yeah, you and your five real friends that are real can all meet up and you can be sharks together." <laughs> And next month we're adding legs. Yeah, right. Due to popular demand, legs. We're adding legs. <laughs> I will say, playing as a Braxis in Asgard's Wrath Two is very funny because he is jacked. Yeah, and he is tattooed. He is like a big dude. And when you look down, you see those pecs. <laughs> and I was like, is this what I would feel like if I worked out? And then I held up my arm, and I was like, I look good with tattoos. <laughs> it was. It was 
frightening to suddenly be like what if i got a bunch of tattoos you threatened us with what if i got into vr but i think this year you're just gonna get jacked and like get a sleeve tatted up yeah yeah here's like the complete history of dragon quest on my arm (laughs) (laughs) let's wrap up let's wrap up hey thank you so much for listening um again if you are a new listener you you found us through our game of the year episode thank you so much for joining us I hope you enjoyed this. Um, we thought it'd be fun to like follow up uh, the end of the year with like a big. Sometimes before we record, like well, I'll always before we record, we'll say, "Okay, I played this, this, and this." Like, what's the order? And every now and then we're like, "Yeah, we'll just do it all." Yeah, and that was the philosophy behind this one. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm also really happy we got to do another one in person, like I said earlier. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for listening. Um, we have we, so much stuff to add to this wrap up now. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so we did do a lot of announcements on the Game of the Year episode, but I'll do them again here just in case you didn't listen to all six hours of that one. I get it. Um, I, I understand. My yeah. Game of the Year was Resident Evil. What was yours? Uh, Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah. AJ's was Alan Wake 2. That out of the way. Um, <laughs> just in case I didn't listen. Yeah. <laughs> our next bonus episode, which are episodes that are kind of devoted to one game, like a deep dive on one game or series or idea our next bonus episode is going to be twilight princess very excited for that that should come out sometime in january the following bonus will be Baldur's gate 3 which i cannot wait to talk about we've talked about that game quite a bit already but what i'm really excited for is to talk specifics yeah i can't wait to finally play it talk about like the plot the characters we're going to be joined by our friend kim who i've already like at this point recorded two bonuses about Baldur's gate 3 with just in our just DMs. Via voice memos yeah, yeah and just voice memos like yeah the thing about astarian is um we also alongside Baldur's gate 3 will be releasing a big episode for patrons of the five dollar tier or higher that's going to be a and d recording so i've been running a big D&D campaign with uh, me, Brendan, AJ, our producer, our friend Kim, who will also be on the Baldur's Gate 3 episode, and our friend Chase, who is co-host of video game Potimism, another show on the TWG network. I'm really excited to share that. we At this time, we've recorded the first part of it, and we're about to record the second. Uh, so that will be available to patrons. It's kind of a companion piece to the Baldur's Gate 3 episode. And yeah, outside of that, anything else we want to announce here? Oh, we have our merch store. We have store. a merch store. <laughs> we have merch, finally. We've been saying for years, like, like one of the perks for being a $10 patron is like, when we eventually have merch, we finally have merch. We've been, we've been wanting to have merch for a while. I think initially, like, it, it took a long time for us to, to figure out a way to monetize the show in general that felt good and felt true to the spirit of the show and for merch we also wanted to make sure that like our provider was like ethical and and sustainable um and we found one that works for us and uh, we're really excited for that people have been at like it's a happy problem to have people have been asking for merch for a long time years and years yeah uh so we're really excited to share that brendan did a lot of the designs they're all wonderful um so we uh, links to the store are into the cast at online our new fancy website same url but new page. Yeah. Second chances, baby. We have no idea at the time of this recording how people are reacting to it, which is yeah. which is fun. Exactly right. Um, also in the merch store, we do have ad reads. Um, so there are personal ads you can you can pay for, which is like, you know, whatever you want. Just like shout outs, happy birthdays, stuff we'll read on the show. And there are also commercial ads. Of course, there are a lot of caveats to that. That'll be listed on that page as well. You know, we had the right to refuse a commercial ad if it's like, hey, you know, Monsanto or or Enron or whatever. You want us to frack? I say no. (laughs) But all that's out, which we're really excited to see. And and of course, that's also a work in progress. So like nothing set in stone. We'll see what works for us and what works for all of you. And 
and adjust accordingly but we've been we've been wanting to reveal the merch and the ad reads and the patreon episode for a while now it's very nice that it's all out in the open um and we also have other big plans for bonuses that i think we announced some on that goatee episode but i'll leave it at that for now yeah also worth mentioning for the ten dollar tier uh when those ads do roll out the ten dollar tier will get episodes ad free yes which is fun uh so shout out to those of you up at that tier yeah and just thank you i mean this has been our biggest year yet uh thank you all so much for for supporting the show we exist entirely through word of mouth as much as like we've begun monetizing the show and in efforts to eventually do this full time like it is entirely up to the passion for the show held by you and other listeners that we continue to exist yes so thank you for just like if all you've done is say like hey you should listen to this i had a good time hearing about golden sun in 2023 (laughs) thank you we owe you our life yo i'm still playing golden sun that game is good it's awesome but yeah, that's that's all I have. Anything else you want to add to the sign off? No, I think that was great. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, everybody. I'm getting this show is an exercise at getting better at signing off an episode because <laughs> I think early on we just went goodbye, Bye. Like, said nothing, promoted nothing. See ya. Uh, sorry, but, <laughs> we were just sorry. apologizing. Yeah, a lot of apologizing. <laughs> um, but hey, new year, new me. Yeah. 2024. Let's hope it's a good one. Yeah. Brendan, VR Endon. That's that's me. It's the 2024 me. Uh, anyway, you can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. You can go to brendanbigley.com. You can find me in your meeting room on Meta. On Meta, uh, I'm West. like sort of the Tom of the Meta version of Skype. Yeah. If you like, if you have any meeting, there's at least one person there. Yeah. And it's it's me, Steve. If you see a face shape you've never seen before <laughs> and eyes that look as dead as anything <laughs> lying on a beach. That's my avatar. <laughs> I I made like the uh, the weird era of Xbox where they tried to make Mies. Oh, yeah. Because the Wii was selling so well that PlayStation and, and Xbox were like, let's make our own Mies. Yeah. I had the worst me. It was like, yeah. it looked like really, really bad original concepts for a Starian yeah. before they got it right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was kind of vampiric. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Th- I remember they were really trying to sell, like, do you want to dress your avatar up in Master Chief's armor? It's like, <laughs> no, I really don't. But you could watch Netflix with your friends, and that made it all worth it. That's true. I miss that. Anyway, bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Garbage. The online.